welcome to the 327th episode of the Random Podcast from Heck. My name is Tony, and this is a podcast about random things in the world of entertainment, which includes movies, TV shows, and comic books. Big shout out to Dave McPhail and Andrew Loken. They're big supporters of the show. You can be a supporter by going to patreon.com slash gmanfromheck. Any amount you commit to will be awesome. If you commit at the Rick Jones tier or higher, you get access to the secret podcast from Heck, which is an additional 30 minutes of podcast entertainment every single week. 30 minutes on top of this. So 30 minutes more. Currently, I've been talking about uh, X-Men The Hidden Years by John Byrne, the John Byrne comic. So that's like the early 2000s. Sometimes I talk about other movies. Sometimes I talk about just like a random, usually comic book concept, idea, something outside of the regular podcast since i tend to ramble on this is like its own separate thing so i'm also open to suggestions if there's ever any like topics you wanted me to to really delve into go into just let me know but if you can't commit to a monthly commitment that's true which is fine i understand you can also help out by going to coffee.com slash gman from heck and you can buy me a virtual cup of coffee or three and that is ko-fi.com slash gman from heck is it dash or is it hyphen? I mean, should I be saying whatever? You get that. All right. So, hey, thanks for listening. I'm glad you're here. What is happening on this this week's show? There's a lot happening. There is so much happening. I'm actually having to, I think I'm going to have to like cut some things down, which is going to put me a little behind. I'm still trying to catch up on some shows, but I think just for the sake of just so much stuff, because I always worry when if I do like five episodes, you know, it's, it's just too much. So we're just going to break it down. We'll get there eventually because some shows are ending like this week and we're, it's going to get a little lighter, especially as we get into like the, the holidays at the end of December. So we'll, we'll get there eventually. So if you are eagerly waiting to hear about whatever, I hope you are understanding and just patient and, you know, we will get there. Uh, slight change. So last week I said that the, the movie feature was going to be Silent Night, the Joel Kinnaman, the John Woo movie. Uh, John Woo directed movie starring Joel Kinnaman. I'm really excited to see that when I saw the preview. But uh, so it's it's one of those weird things. So I, my theater, I I, I buy tickets online because you know I like supporting the theaters and all that. I like seeing it on the big screen. And uh, sometimes it's it's weird. I don't know how it works. I don't know why there's a discrepancy. Whatever. It's not like hey, it's Monday. Here's new movies or here. What it's it just. Uh, I think it just depends on studio whether there's confirmation when they're going to get it and and so forth. So they didn't have times or tickets available for Silent Night, even though it was listed as coming soon. And, and then I saw Godzilla minus one. And now here's the thing. I hadn't like really looked at anything. I saw like I, I when I mentioned it, I only saw like a 15 second teaser trailer for it. I didn't know any of the backstory, like where it was coming out. I was like, I knew it wasn't with the current Godzilla Kong, you know, MonsterVerse stuff. But other than that, I didn't know anything about it. It's like, was this like a old movie that's coming back? Is it a rem- what remaster? What's going? On? But then I was like, well, I guess I'll go see that because then and then I started hearing after about my ticket, started hearing like, oh my gosh, this is so good, and I was kind of glad that I did. And uh, yeah, um, I'll ha- have have some stuff to say about that. Because I'm trying to cut stuff down, I think, even though I was planning on doing two episodes of Monarch, I think we're just going to do one. We'll see how it gets when I, when, when I get there. So we may only be on, on episode two, which I think now four episodes are out. But part of the thing is Doctor Who came on. I knew it was coming up. Kind of caught me a little off guard. So the Doctor Who special, it's, that's just crazy because David Tennant's back. And when I heard about that, I'm like, 
how's he back? Is this, you know, some lost adventure that we didn't hear about? He's a little bit older. He still, you know, looks great for, for you know, but it's like, how, how is David Tennant back? So we'll hear about that. And then um, Scott Pilgrim, uh, you know, I've been doing two episodes, try to catch up. Again, we'll see about time, maybe only one, maybe two, we'll see. And we got Invincible. So I didn't realize Invincible, this was a, this is like the mid-season finale, I think, I'm pretty sure. So I don't think it's on next, wait, was it on, I guess it would be on, no, Friday. Was there one Friday? Because I'm a week behind. I don't think there was one Friday. I could be totally wrong about that. But I think, think this is a mid-season finale. And then got Doom Patrol, <laughs> the season finale. Uh, Rick and Morty. Um, I might, I, we'll, we'll see how time goes. I might hold off on that and maybe try to double up next week. I, you know, and and that's, that's the thing. I would love some feedback if, if you're listening. Because uh, I always wonder, like, should I cover this? Should I cover this? Should Because sometimes I feel like there's just too much to, to cover. I try to cover enough so there's always something. And, and sometimes stuff gets stacked up, but then stuff stops. And then there's, like, nothing else going on. So then I think there was a while I was only doing, like, like two or three shows. So I want to make sure, you know, I always have stuff on, on, you know, in the queue or whatever. But I feel like right now there's too much. And I don't know. I mean, I, I cover what I like and what I think you listeners would like, but I don't know if hearing me talk about a Rick and Morty episode, if it, if it makes any sense, if it makes a difference. Because, you know, sometimes, you know, a show like that, there's a lot of jokes and there's a lot of visuals, and I don't know if hearing about it is really coming across as, as worth your time listening. Uh, so... I would love, you know, any sort of feedback, like what shows you'd want to hear and what shows you you're like, okay, not hearing and, and so forth. Because, you know, I always mention it, you know, poor me, it, it is a lot of work trying to keep up with all this, you know, trying to read all the comics, trying to watch all the shows. And then, of course, you know, day job and, and everything else. So we'll see how, how that goes. I, I'm, I, I'll make a decision when I, when, when I get to the end of like Invincible, like where we're going to go with that. Because I was almost like, I don't know if I'm going to get to Doom Patrol this week, even though it's the last one. But I feel like I have to because it's the last one. All right. So let's uh, get into the news. It doesn't seem like there's a whole lot of news. Uh, yeah, whatever. I, I've said that before. <laughs> uh, there, there's some, let's start with, uh, I guess we'll start with Zack Snyder stuff. There's, there's a lot of Zack Snyder. He, he did this interview. Where was it? I think it was... Um, it's a Hollywood reporter. So it was like one of the things where, you know, they do a big, long interview and then, you know, other sites, they break it down to like 10 different articles and whatever. I, I get it. One of the things that he, he talked about, he's, he's like stepping away from superhero movies. There's a quote that he had. He's like, we've been on the treadmill. It has not evolved. I don't have the excitement for it that I used to have. Mm, okay. Which, again, he's entitled to whatever his opinion is. That... I, I get it. Okay, maybe you know it, it is a different genre, and you know, just a whole different beast, and you know, it's it it has its its price to pay or whatever. I would say though, if if he's saying that it has not evolved, can you maybe do something to help it evolve, to push it to evolve? Is isn't there you know? Wouldn't that be like an interesting challenge as a filmmaker? You know, create you trying to create something. How can you take this? That's still pretty popular. You know, there is a question, are people getting superhero fatigue? Which I, I, I'm not. You know, I, I'll, I'll be the first to say that. I mean, I, I, I can't get enough. But yeah, maybe some people are a little tired of it. And, you know, it, it's bound to happen, you know, sooner or later. It's, 
it feels like you know it has been a, a while. But if if there's something that that has a, like kind of like a built-in pr- popularity, and if you feel like it's it's like a little stale or a little stagnant, like what well, what can you do? You know, do you do you want to take on the challenge, evolve it, or just leave that to someone else? I don't know. He did say that. There are a couple things that he would return to some projects. He said he, he would uh, he would do like a Frank Miller's Dark Knight Returns, as long as it was like a true representation of the graphic novel. You know, he wants it to be like hardcore to source material. He doesn't want it to have to be compromised or anything like that. Okay, and he actually he would consider something at Marvel, which this will probably never happen. But he said he'd like to do Frank Miller again. Electra lives again, and then he's like, what about Star Wars? He said that. <laughs> He says he's not interested in Star Wars. He's like, they have a handle on that. And I'm like, what? I was like, dude, your your Rebel Moon was a Star Wars pitch that kind of got... Re- now, did it get rejected? Because I, 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 at first I heard that it was just it was rejected. They're like, now we're going to pass on this. And then I heard some stuff like, oh, no. And then Disney bought Star Wars. So the, the, the talks fell through. Not that it necessarily was bad, but it's just like, okay, this is the right time type of thing. And it apparently, according to what, what Scott Snyder was saying, that it was like his wife, she was like, this is a, like the best thing that happened. Because, you know, she's like, you think working with DC is hard? You know, not, you know, with the creative control or lack of control or, you know, with, with having to get approval for that. She's like, Lucas film is going to be, you know, worse with that. And, and that, that's not necessarily a bad thing. You know, they're very protective and committed to going, you know, having things presented a certain way. You know, they, they have their guidelines or whatever. It's, it's, it is controlling, but it's also like quality control. And, and that's something that we can talk about at Marvel in, in just, just a bit when I get to some stuff that Bob Iger said. So I don't know whatever about that. He also said that he still hasn't seen Joss Whedon's cut of, of Justice League. This is kind of like the Alan Moore saying he's never watched Watchmen or From Hell, you know, anything, any of the stuff that, that's been adapted. I, I just don't know. If I wrote something, I would be curious what was done with it. You know, and are they doing it justice or not? And even if you think like, oh, no, this is going to be bad. But it's like, how can you just like not be curious? And so he says that he's never watched Justice League. And the, the weird thing about that, when it came time to doing Scott Snyder's Justice League, I think it would be like, okay, well, what was used, what was done? And I, I mean, I don't know the, the whole, how it all went, but I'm assuming some stuff was shot with Joss Whedon. So did he, did he's like, I mean, has he seen some of that footage? When, when it came down, t- down to doing his version, and, you know, he, he's had to do a, some reshoots, I think. But then he's like, okay, I'm, I'm not going to use it. I didn't shoot this stuff. I'm not going to use it. Which maybe that's, that's the case. You know, if it's supposed to be Zack Snyder's Justice League, it kind of makes sense that he wouldn't use footage that Joss Whedon or someone else, who anyone else would have filmed, you know, been behind the camera. But I just, I think it would be weird where it's like, okay, what did they do? And not that you'd want to copy it or do it, but I, I would almost be like, yeah, wow, that didn't work. And we could do this better. But then maybe he's like, I don't want to be influenced by this because this is my story. This is my direction. This is all my vision. I don't want to be... Con-. But even after the fact, I'd be like, okay, here's my... my 
But even, or even just going back, it's like, it was unfortunate why he had to drop out, you know, why he had to do it. You know, it was horrific, you know, family first, all that, that's important. And, and, you know, as, as much as I may give Zack Snyder a hard time when I, or joke around or whatever, I mean, he made the right call. It's like, you have to, it's horrible. I, I would not wish that on anyone, you know, what he had to go through. I can't even imagine that. But I, I would still be curious, like, what was done with, with, with that? I don't know. He did say that his he heard about it, so maybe that's enough because his wife was forced to watch it or whatever, you know, because she's involved with the production side, whatever. So maybe she just had a lot to say. Who knows? But it, it just seems interesting. I mean, I would be curious. And the then again, it's like I haven't really been to comic buying lately. I mean, I haven't used like some every once in a while. I may use like a wiki page or you know, or just a, looking up a comic volume. Uh, so I mentioned Bob Iger. So Bob Iger, CEO of Disney, <laughs> he said that the reason Marvel didn't do so well at the box office is because Marvel needs more executives on set overseeing production, which is like, what? <laughs> so apparently there wasn't much supervision, so that made it do not so well at the box office. I still don't, don't get this whole thing. I, I enjoyed the movie. I, I thought it was a lot of fun. And I just don't understand why people are so angry and I look at my, my, my timeline, you know, like my Facebook, and maybe it's just because I'm looking at like followers, people that, that I kind of think similar, you know, same wavelength or, or same interest. And it's not all the angry dude bros that are like, oh man, it shouldn't be this or that. So it, it, most of the, the comments I saw, I don't think I really saw many people saying they didn't like it. Yeah, I saw a couple of people like, like, oh, the musical number. It wasn't even that long. It was what, like two minutes if that. And I, I, I thought that was brilliant. Why not? It's something different. People complain that all these movies are the same. So here's something different and, and you have a problem with it. I don't know. And uh, it, just, it just seems crazy that people are so angry about this. And I, I saw an article and it, it brought up some good points. And, and it was a very, very long article. And it's basically saying how people are saying the Marvels was a failure but then if you look at Martin Scorsese's Killers of the Flower Moon or Ridley Scott's um, Napoleon, those movies were kind of bigger failures. You know, they had like a higher budget and they had like smaller box office. No one's talking about those movies as being failures. Everyone's saying how Marvel's is like the worst thing ever. Although, you know, I did see some people say like, oh, this is, it's, you know, this was a really fun movie. It's like Marvel's back. But it's, then other people are saying, no, it's not. So it's just weird that here's a movie that is driven by female characters, female director. But if you have these movies with a, a white director, white male leads, you know, Leonardo DiCaprio, Joaquin Phoenix, which I think they're great. And, you know, Martin Scorsese, you know, his stuff might not be my first choice these days, but he's a brilliant film doctor, director. I'm not going to say that. Same thing with Ridley Scott. You know, he, he's done a lot of great stuff. So all, everyone involved, you know, they're all doing, you know, I, I love the variety. I've seen different things. I don't just want to, you know, like many, I don't want to see the same thing over and over again. It's just weird that those movies way underperformed, no one's saying anything. And Napoleon did worse than Hunger Games did in its second week. And that was led by Renee Zeg Zegler, Zegler, is that her name? What, a female lead, pretty much. I don't care if, if President Snow, former or future President Snow, was in the movie. The movie was about about uh, what's her name now? <laughs> great, great. You know what I'm talking. About. I'm not. I'm drawing a blank. 
I, so I, I, I think that that's, that's unfortunate that it, it feels like it's just being Marvel's is being targeted because it's, it's about women. And I think there's other things to look at. And there was a comment I saw where someone said that maybe part of the problem with the Disney movies underperforming is because a lot of people are like Disney plus, I, I just, I just got to wait 45 days. And then I don't have to pay, you know, buy a movie ticket and then get popcorn and all that stuff. I can just watch it at home. 45 days to me, like, I, you know, when something comes out, I want to see it right away. But at the same time, it, it feels like often I'm like, whoa, that's streaming already? So it's like, it's been 45 days? It's like, is that because time feels like it flies. So I can kind of see that. I'm also where I want to see things on a big screen and maybe other people are like, well, I got a really big TV at home. It's, it's good enough. So I don't know. There there could be a lot of things. And I just, it just really bothers me when people gravitate, when they just get so hung up on the downside, like this is underperforming. This is that, or it's like, why can't we look at the positives? You know, why are we trying to nitpick or, or, you know, bring something down when we should be trying to celebrate things to encourage things, encourage, you know, audiences, encourage the, the studios and try to, and I'm not saying we just ignore things. I'm not saying that we should just overlook things and say, well, you know, this, this wasn't that great. I'm, I'm saying that, you know, we need to look at the positives instead of like, Haha, it's like, you always see it, it's like, oh, it was a 60% box office drop for the second week. Every movie pretty much has like a 60, 70% box office drop. But then they, they they try to you know kind of gravitate towards that you know a lot of people are like oh, oh this movie had reshoots that means it's bad it's like no everything has reshoots. <sighs> Speaking of <laughs> like questionable things, so Wyatt Russell, I totally forgot Wyatt Russell was John Walker, and uh, I wasn't super cra- cra- crazy about his performance. It's because I was super cra- crazy about the character. So he did a good job as a character. But we we're not supposed to like John Walker, but he was talking about like Thunderbolts, and and one of the things he said it kind of bothers me. He's like, it, it, with it's it's time to make a good Marvel movie. I was like, wow. So you're saying that everything lately has been bad, and I'm sure a lot of people would be like, yeah, he's right. I just don't don't get it. I mean, yeah, I need to see Ant Man Wasp Quantumania again. I enjoyed it. I didn't hate it. I didn't hate. You know, I, I really enjoyed Guardians of the Galaxy. I really, really enjoyed Marvels. I just don't understand why people are just so so unhappy. And I don't. I mean, have we just been spoiled, or have people been spoiled? That they're just. I just don't don't understand. Uh, what's going on with Tom Holland? Is he going to be Spider Man? It's, it's so weird because he, he's always saying, "Yeah, we'll see." And he he made a comment long ago, like after the last one, he's like. If I'm still playing Spider-Man at 30, then I've, I've kind of done something wrong. And I think he's thinking, because, you know, spider man which I don't agree with this. You know, I think he was kind of saying, I could be wrong, but I, I think he said something like Spider-Man is kind of like a younger character or whatever. And it's like, no, Spider-Man is like kind of in his late 20s, early 30s. You know, he's in that kind of frozen time where he's he's not aging. You know, he's not, he wasn't in high school in, in the 60s because, you know, that would make him way too old. So he, you know, Tom Holland's, he, he hasn't really committed to it. But then Sony's like, yeah, we're, we're doing Spider-Man 4. It, it's happening. And I was like, wait, just like last week, Tom Holland said he's not sure. But now Sony's like, oh, no, it's happening. So I was like, okay, maybe they must know something we don't. Would they recast Tom Holland? And, and you know, you could do it. If you can recast Batman, 
and well, that's not really the best things. But if you can recast, I mean, even like recasting James Bond, that, that doesn't, that's not quite the same thing. But I think you could do it. You just have to be very careful. And Tom Holland, I think he says like, well, maybe, you know, it's time to look at like Miles Morales. I don't agree with that. I, I mean, I don't think, uh, let, me, let me take that back. Yeah, we need to see a Miles Morales. We should see Miles Morales. You know, a lot of people would love that. I would love that. But I don't think we should only have Miles Morales at the expense of no Spider-Man. Spider-Man is Spider-Man is like an institution. He is he is Marvel. You know, when you look at it, for the longest time, anything Marvel is like Spider-Man head, Spider-Man logo. That is Marvel. You know, Marvel Spider-Man is like synonymous. It's like the same thing. So it feels like if we're going to have like movies in the MCU, we should always have a Spider-Man. And, and even like in the Avengers movies, he was like such a heart of the team, you know, and that part of it was Tom Holland and the writing or whatever. But it, it just it would seem so weird if all of a sudden Spider-Man's gone. You know, if, if he died, no, don't kill him. Retires. I, can he retire? He's got that sense of responsibility. I don't know. So anyways, Spider-Man, no idea what's happening. Uh, I guess we'll have to have to see, and Adam, maybe it's just a matter of in talks. So he's, you know, he doesn't want to commit to it. You know, he wants to smartly, as he's entitled to, maybe use the leverage so he can, you know, get a better deal for himself. What about Avengers? You know, this is the question. So, uh, King Dynasty, Avengers King Dynasty, because is that happening? Is that not happening? You know, the whole thing is is are they gonna? recast Kang are they going to replace Kang and use a different character you know what's happening with, with Jonathan Majors I haven't heard anything about that because I forget wasn't that the end of November I know we're in December now so I don't remember when when that's happening the, the the trial case maybe it's I don't know but we heard that the writer had left Kang Dynasty and it's a dude that's working on Shang-Chi and he was going to do uh, Wonder Man so it's like, what's going on? Does that mean? Does that mean something? But no, now it's like, well, Avengers has Avengers King Dynasty has a new writer. It's a uh, Michael Waldron who was involved with Loki. He was like the showrunner and writer, and I guess he's also doing Avengers Secret Wars. So I guess it kind of makes sense if he's doing that. I mean, especially the, the Loki thing. If he was like the showrunner for Loki and doing all that stuff with Victor Timely and everything like that, and you're going to do a movie about Kang, heck yeah, you better get that guy involved and have him run the whole thing. Definitely. Or not run the whole thing, but write the whole thing. Absolutely. So we'll have to see. And I just it's so weird because I, I really don't know what's going on. It feels like things are, are constantly changing, and that's okay. You know, you, you got to figure things out and do, do the right thing and do what works. And um, I think what's going to also work now is it, I think we're going to move on to, to something else because that's going to be news for the week. All right, with comic books at Image Comics. Um, let's see, what did I read? We had Crave number one. I actually, I, I wasn't going to read this, but then I, I, I was like, what's the number one look? And I look at it. And uh, part of it, you know, there's one part, you know, some kids at, at I think it's like a, a school, I don't think it was a college. Now I'm trying to remember. Was that was this week, right? There, there's kids get this text, you know, there's this girl likes, and she's like in like some bondage clothes. I'm like, okay, is this not that I, you know, I'm not a prude, but I don't necessarily read comics for like, like, oh, I want some tintillating, you know, material, hubba hubba. You know, that that's just not what, what I, what I'm into. It's like, I don't need that in comic format. It's just, it's, there's nothing wrong with it. But so the, the idea is this crave, it's like this website, and it, it's supposed to be 
you enter like like what you want, like what you're craving, and this website or this app or something somehow supposed to make it happen. So the, this kid that gets this, you know, he he somehow gets this picture of this girl, and he hasn't like talked to her in like a while. You know, he had like this major crush on her. Like there's like some stuff to happen. It's like why is he getting this picture? Did she send it? Why would she just randomly send him this picture? Did someone else send it, knowing what's going on. And then there's like other stuff going on, but there was some interesting conversations in one of the classes where it's t- kind of talking about the whole thing about social media. And I, I'm totally falling fall into it as well. It's like we we want that gratification. We need that that it's, it's like whether it's a pat on the shoulder, or whatever. But when I post stuff, you know, I I want to get likes. You know, do I center my whole life around it? No, but you know, it's like if I post a TikTok video, which you know I'm not the TikTok master or anything like that. But it's like, yeah, it, it'd be nice to get get likes and stuff like that. When I see, it's like, oh, I have all these people viewed it, but they didn't like it. They didn't hit the like button. So does that mean they hate it? Or maybe some people, because I, I, I look at the way my, my daughter goes through TikTok sometimes where she just like watches stuff and then flip goes to the next thing, watches it, flip goes to the next thing. So maybe some people are just kind of doing that, like scrolling through the content and not necessarily stopping. Unless it's maybe something that's just really amazing, then you're going to hit that heart button that you like it. And so I don't know. I mean, maybe my, and it could just be, maybe my content is not that good. And, you know, I am, am not like in some denial over that. But it's it's just weird the whole social media aspect that we depend on these strangers. And I also look at it also when when I get all these likes from from people who aren't following me necessarily. I was like, wow, these people that don't know me. I'm assuming they don't know me from like Comic Vine or anything like that. But they like this enough to actually you know hit that like, which which is is kind of nice. But yeah, so anyways, there was a comment about that, about just whole social media. It's 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 a bad thing, and and I I, I fall for it as well. You know, I I'm not going to deny that. But um, so this comic, we'll we'll see. Because there was a one of the roommates, you know, had he had a post that he put something on a computer. He was like kind of skipping out around school early, something like that. And then the, like the post that falls off, but it said like don't use the Crave app. So there's like something kind of sketchy about it, where maybe it's not what it seems. So I'm, I'm a little curious what's going to happen there. Edenwood number two, this is a Tony Daniel comic. And um, it's, I don't even know how I would describe it, but it's like there's stuff with like magic and there's like time, the time has gone, has, has changed a little bit. You know, things have moved forward a little. And, you know, we're, we're seeing these like witches and like, not necessarily witches, but like just creatures and demon hunters, like goat, whatever. It's it's just something, and and the thing is, like Tony Daniels' art is just so good. Like when he, just the way he does the detail and everything like that, it's just like, it, it's that that superhero, like, mm, you know, it's just so like solid and, and just detailed and and cool. And then you know, you throw in the colors and everything. It's just, I just really enjoy it. And the the fact that it's an interesting story is just like you know, cherry on top or whatever. It's just, it's it's so good. Um, then we had Kaya thirteen. Which uh, I, I'm just I'm liking this comic more and more with each issue, where we have you know Kaya and we have uh, you know her half brother whatever and just you know trying to get him to safety and you know trying to keep the, his identity a secret and all this stuff like that and, and now they're like in this other aspect and you know there's the pirates and you know it's just you know there's a whole evil robot f- forces and I just I'm I'm so intrigued by this world that that uh 
Wes Craig has, has created. And it's just, it, it's, it's so different. I mean, you know, Deadly Class is my, my favorite comic of you know, recent time. I love that comic so much. Just the writing, the art, just everything about it was just so good. And so now we're seeing, you know, that same art, but in a totally different scenario, you know, different world. And it's just, it's, I, I, I think it's so cool. Local Man Issue 7, I did not get a chance to read that. Uh, I'm really enjoying that. So you should read that. Pick up the first trade. Um, it's, it's it's cool stuff. The Schlub Issue 4, um, I didn't get it, get around. I didn't get a chance to read this. I ran out of time. But this is Ryan Stegman and and uh, Kenny Porter. Uh, Tyrell Cannon does the art. I'm, I'm, I'm a little hesitant with this. I, if I'm going to be, again, perfectly honest, I don't love the book and it's part because i don't love the main character and we're not supposed to because he is a schlub he's he is not the the nicest whatever uh, most honest person you know you had this this uh questionable character dude and he switches places with like a superhero and of course you know he's gonna take advantage of some things and everything so it's just um it's an in- interesting you know story uh but i i just i i meant to read it i just didn't get to it What's the furthest place from here? Issue sixteen. I'm I'm just so. This is another book that it just it, it kind of blows me away. It's it's another fascinating uh, just story with this whole world that was created and everything like that. You, I I can't even describe it. It's just this post apocalyptic, and we're finding out more. It's just so weird, and yeah, you, it's another one I strongly recommend if you haven't read it. At Marvel, <laughs> Amazing Spider Man. Uh, okay, this was Gang War. I was like, wait, what number issue is this? This is Amazing Spider-Man Gang War First Strike. <sighs> Big sigh. Um, yeah, so there's a lot of stuff going on with the Gang War. It's it's somewhat intriguing. You know, we, we got some interesting characters, you know, and they're all trying to make a, a play for different parts of New York, different neighborhoods, boroughs, or whatever. And, you know, with... with uh, Tombstone getting taken out. You know, there, there's some questionable things there. You know, Madam Mask, what happened to her? You know, she was taken out. And so we have everyone kind of like trying to negotiate who gets what territory. And, you know, of course, that's not going to be the the neatest thing. But, oh, my goodness. If you look at the checklist, there are so many books. So, like, just in November, just this week, we had three. We have Amazing Spider-Man, Gang War, First Strike. We have Luke Cage, Gang War, number one. We have Spider-Woman, number one. And then in December, um, you know, it crossed over into like Amazing Spider-Man. There's Daredevil Gang War, Luke Cage, number two, Miles Morales, Spider-Man, uh, Amazing Spider-Man 40. So we get two issues of Spider-Man in January. Deadly Hands of Kung Fu, because uh, Shang-Chi shows up, and Miles Morales. So that's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. And no, that's December. Did I say just January? December. In January, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. February, there's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. And then in March, it looks like Daredevil Gang War 4. Is that the final one? It seems like that's weird. There's no Gang War Omega, <laughs> anything. I I don't know. And But you know, the other thing is when Kingpin, Wilson, Wilson, Wilson Fisk was a mayor, he put this like anti-vigilante law into motion, which, which is just ridiculous. So, you know, part of that is, is in question. Can they repeal that? And it's, we'll see. Uh, I, I'm, I'm intrigued with the idea. I just don't like the idea that there's like a million books come out, eight, eight books a month, which is not a million, but it just feels like it might be a bit much. 
Captain America issue three. I'm I'm still I'm 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 enjoying this. Uh, I I do it's it is better than I I, I not as better. I am enjoying this more than the previous run with because I didn't like that Dimension Z stuff and I didn't like how like Cap and Sam fighting it just was was a bit much. But there there's some interesting things here. I'm I'm enjoying the flashbacks. It's it's kind of cool to see young you know pre Cap Steve Rogers because. You know, he 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 did have you know like uh, not a, a chip on his shoulder, but he was feisty. And even though you know he had no powers, because you know he wanted to do the right thing, and that's just it wasn't just a super soldier serum that made him you know such an amazing person. You know, he always had that in in him, and then it just the super soldier serum just gave him the body and the strength to let you know catch up to that spirit that he had so it, it's kind of interesting there is howard the duck um anniversary i i'm a i'm a i'm a howard the duck fan i just didn't get around to i time ran out and i'm just like um i'm i'm betting this is gonna be an oversized issue I don't, i'm not even sure how many pages this is uh let's see it's uh looks like well it's only like a 30 something page comic i thought it was gonna be like like 50 or 100 page it's like no so i i will i'm definitely going to read that i just i didn't get around to it luke cage gang war is you know luke cage is the mayor of new york there was an interesting part where there's like this crime and progress you know luke cage happens to be nearby so he goes there and you know the police are they did the, these bank robbers whatever they got like high-tech you know armor piercing bullets and stuff like these crazy guns and he gets like he starts blocking some of the the bullets, so like the officers don't kill. Killed. He's about to go after the the criminals, and then one of the police officers like draws her gun on him, like like you can't do that. He's like you're you're a civilian, but it's like okay, he's a mayor. Does that mean he's a civilian? Because you know he is a public servant, whatever. But he's like you. It's a law. You can't go after him. And so he's like, so you're gonna let these criminals go, and you're gonna arrest me. Um, yeah, so there's, he's, he needs to figure out what he can do. And cause he, he can't just overturn the law. You know, he doesn't, being the mayor doesn't give you that power. So, um, that's one of the things that Rob, Robbie, wait, what, what's Robbie's son's name? Randy, Randy Robertson is trying to, uh, overturn the law. And then what's interesting is Janice, uh, Beetle, uh, Tombstone's daughter, this is happening in the Spider-Man gang war. You know, she she pops drops in in the meeting where you know Hammerhead's trying to sneakily like claim everything, and she's like, "Well, no, I'm taking my my dad's territory because you know he's in, like in a coma a after their wedding got interrupted." And uh, then they're like, "Well, you need to kill this Randy Robertson because he's shaking things up and he's trying to repeal this law, and then we're gonna have more costume you know heroes making trouble and blah." It's like whatever, Hammerhead, you need to go away. Uh, there's Marvel Zombies number two. I did not even look at that. Let's see. Gail Simone wrote a story with Dale Eaglesham. Okay, that could be interesting. Uh, that was a Under the Kind Eye of an Unkind Future. The Last Ballad of Better Ray Bill by Erica Schultz and Nelson Daniel. And then Warpath by Doug Wagner and Juan Gideon. Um, yeah, I didn't read that. I don't know if I will. Uh, Miles Morales' Spider-Man issue 12. This uh, this just says gang wars coming. This is uh, continuing. This is bad blood part three. This is with a uh, blade and his daughter. I tried. I tried reading. I was like, I, I, I just can't get into it. I don't care about this vampire stuff. Sorry. 
Sorry, vampires. No offense. Moon Knight, issue 29. Uh, you know, we got Moon Knight going against Black Spectre, and, you know, he's got this big... It's the, Everything is coming to, you know... It's it's explosive conclusion. Last days of Moon Knight's coming up. What is going to happen? And it's just like kind of edge of your seats like no dude, shut up with your last days i don't i don't uh, i don't accept that but things are getting getting messy and uh you never know <laughs> ms marvel new mutant number four uh i think this is it was just a four issue series right and um this this was good i mean it, it was it was a fun book overall i just my problem is i don't like this whole anti-mutant orcus stuff like that it just i I feel like it just kind of makes it a downer in a bit, you know, because I, I love Ms. Marvel's spirit and everything, her enthusiasm, and she kind of can't really have that. You know, she's like super excited to be part of X-Men now, but there's like all this like heavy cloud over it. There's a part where she like, she wants a high five uh, Kitty Pride, and Kitty Pride doesn't want anything to do with that because she's just like so down and angry. And they, you know, they, they should be because it's, it's horrible for mutants now. Um, there was Predator versus Wolverine number three. I did not even look at that. Um, I like the idea, the concept. I think it's, it could be neat and fun, but yeah, I didn't check that out. And uh, Realms of X, I didn't check that out because I don't. It, it's like it's like the old timey stuff, it's like the fantasy stuff, and that's like not like my go to. So maybe I'm missing out there. Uh, then there was Spider Woman. So this is Gang War. And what's interesting here, so this is kind of with the follow-up of the recent Spider-Man stuff with the, the, the web of life and everything, how Spider-Woman was erased from the, the, the timeline type of thing, but then she was brought back. And when she came back, she's like, wait, where's my kid? You know, her, her baby, like, doesn't exist. Like, did he ever exist? Because if she was erased from the timeline, does that mean her kid was erased too? But if she's brought back, was everything brought back? Is, or is just some stuff missing? And uh, yeah, so there's some some in intriguing stuff there, and it's it's always cool seeing her just like going all out and uh, just kicking butt. And but at the same time, you know, she takes a beating as well because you know she's not super duper un unstoppable. So it's a good mix of just handling all that. We also get some little little Carol Danvers here, which which is nice. always great to see them together because they're like best friends. But then it's weird. It's like, wait, hey, Carol Danvers, where are those nega bands that are binding you to the negative zone? Which I don't like that story, but whatever. We'll see. And then uh, X-Men, what is this called? X-Men Origins, X-Men Blue. Uh, this was, uh, um, this was, this is something that I, I who wrote this? And I, I didn't mean it. Oh, so uh, Cy Spur wrote this. And um, it looks into, you know, okay, we know Nightcrawler's story. You know, we know his connect, you know, he's, he's Mystique's son. You know, she had, had a baby. And when it was Azazel, <laughs> of all people, his father. And, you know, she was like Chase and she had to abandon him and all that. But um, maybe that's not necessarily the case. So this is one of those situations where, like, everything that you thought you knew isn't necessarily what really happened. So there's some things that are changed here and um, some kind of bold moves. It, it, yeah, I, I, you know, I, I don't want to spoil this just yet since it just came out, but it's kind of changed. It doesn't change. Every, it changes stuff, but it doesn't change everything. It's like, wait, what? And uh, definitely some interesting ideas that I, I would imagine, you know, some people, I, there's got to be some people that are like not happy with that and, I, I think that that's kind of kind of interesting that I, I yeah 
we'll see where, where, where this goes if we see anything. But I, I did, I did like, I, I think I did like it. I, no, I do, I do like what, what this means. Because it, it, it deals with one thing that I never really cared for. So I, I guess I, I approve. Okay. Um, over at DC, there was Titans Beast World. I did not read this. Oh, this was by Tom Taylor. Uh, maybe I should read this. Um, yeah, I thought it was just. I, just, I feel like there's just so much like Titan stuff, and and you know, is this in continuity? Is this not continuity? Is is this like past stuff that's kind of sort? So I, I didn't read this. I should read that. Um, I, I didn't realize that there was a Batman eighty nine uh, number one echoes. I didn't get a ch- round to reading that, but I think I think I, I saw something like Harley Quinn might be in there. So Batman eighty nine with Harley Quinn that could be interesting. Action Comics uh, 1059. Mm, yeah, I, it's just, it's weird how, even though, you know, there's some, you know, I, I feel like the editorial is doing a good job with, with the different Superman books, but it's like sometimes it just feels a little different. And, uh, you know, like just Superman's just, I, I, yeah, I don't know. And then um, I think this is where we got this Blue Earth, whatever, the this anti alien group which you know of course we have to have stuff like that but i it just it just really annoys me because it's it's kind of like the orca stuff we're just so anti and you know of course they they use ridiculous means to you know lie basically is what it comes down to and it's just like uh but it, i i do feel like there's too many super powered people in in metropolis like the superman family is just ridiculously huge so i don't know it's it, you know there there's there's some backup stories, and I I just every time I see a story on John Kent, it's just weird that we have John Kent we have Connor Kent, and I still don't understand why his age was accelerated when we could have had I I would much rather have a ten year old Superboy still developing his powers and all that, and then have Connor Kent be super. And the other thing, so Jonathan Kent is Superman, but but Connor is still Superboy, even though he's been doing this a lot longer. Nepotism, maybe? Detective Comics 1078. No idea what's going on. I, I, didn't read, I haven't been reading Detective for a while. Um, Green Lantern. So when I saw this, at first I was like, oh, Green Lantern, another Green Lantern. I was like, wait, who's, oh, Alan Scott, Green Lantern. So um, this was like one of the last ones I was reading, so I, I didn't like fully read it. And it just looked like it was a kind of flashbacks, almost like telling Alan Scott's origin. Because, you know, there, there's a whole part where he was on a train, the train crashes, and there's a lantern there, he finds it. But there's like a little more added to it. Some things are a little different. And, of course, you know, they're, they're adding in the aspects that, you know, oh, guess what? He's gay, and, you know, he had to... Um, deny that or do whatever because it was so wrong you know you you can't be gay it's not not acceptable which whatever is just ridiculous so you know they're they're adding in some of that stuff that where his like trying to not necessarily deny it but hide it or whatever just deal with the society what's accepted and all, all that and then there's a flash issue three I, I haven't been super crazy about this story. I, I'm curious where it's going to go with all this like weird timeline or, or speed force stuff. And but and you know Mike Deodato, I, I love his art. It's just and it's just it's, it's just a lot of weird stuff going on here. So I'm, I'm not really sure where this is going, and I'm not really sure how I feel about it. 
Uh, Batman Brave and a Bowl. I didn't read that because I, I was. I think I could be wrong. I think that's like the anthology book where there's like all these different things, and that's just too much for me to read. Green Arrow number six. So we, you know, we find out who has been kind of manipulating things, and you know, because Green Arrow's been kind of going through time, and you know, he's been prevented from reuniting with his family, and uh, there are some reunions, but is it going to be permanent? Like, what's going on? And is there going to be tragedies? Is going to be? It's because you know, it can't be happy, and so I'm I'm enjoying this this book, and uh, then there's Power Girl number three. I love, I actually, I don't know if I would say I love, I really like Power Girl. And I just, I feel like the Power Girl we're getting here, because, you know, Power Girl's always been so, like, just brash, just so confident, just so, like, you know, she's going to do whatever she wants to do. And here, there's more, like, a lot of her, like, questioning things. Because, you know, she's, you know, for a long time, she's like, well, I'm not part of the super family because I'm not, I'm from a different Krypton, a different dimension, whatever, reality. And so she's like second guessing everything, which just doesn't seem her. And then like changing her name, you know, she's not Karen Starr anymore. She's Paige. I don't even know what her last name is, but I feel like they they change her name from Karen because Karen is like, you know, if someone's a Karen, you know, that's not a a positive thing. So it's just, it's just kind of weird. And and this was kind of a, some, some tragedy at the uh, Fortress of Solitude. I didn't like that. That was kind of kind of kind of a bummer. Amazon attacks. I don't remember if I read the first issue. Um, so the second issue. So I didn't read the second issue. I was like, wait, I think I need to read the first issue. So you know that that's dealing with the the, the Wonder Woman stuff, the Amazon, which is kind of ridiculous, but it, it'll be interesting to see what's going on there. Uh, Penguin number four. I don't think I read the second issue of that, and then that's all I read, I believe, because then there was. Batman Beyond, I haven't been reading that. Um, Steelworks, I guess issue six is the last issue. And there's a Static, Harley Quinn, um, City Boy, and Cyborg. Is, I haven't even been reading Cyborg, I haven't been reading that. Also, I guess Danger Street, is that finally over? Because the trade paperback came out. So that's good. That's, um, that's going to be comics for a week. That's all I read. All right, then Doom Patrol, <laughs> season four, episode 12. Done Patrol. This is uh, the final episode, and uh, not quite what I expected. Um, I, I'll I'll save my thoughts, everything for for the end. So it's it picks up. You know, there's a big giant vortex in, in the theater. Immortus, you know, Isabel's floating above it. Her eyes are glowing. She's laughing. Doom Patrol gets flung out of the vortex, and then the the, the zombie butts are trying to pound down the doors. And Rouge is like, no, 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 no. She like freaks out. She turns into bird and she flies away. And Isabel's like, oh, you guys are back? How? You are so annoying. She screams a blast like at them. But then Jane like zips out of the way. And Cliff's like, whoa, Flit's back. And Jane's like, that wasn't Flit. That was me. And he's like, oh, what? In her head, you can hear Kay saying, we're all here now, all together as one. And then her hands whoosh, like flame up. And she like curses in surprise. She's like, whoa. And then she's like, lady, you just picked the wrong fight. And she throws a fireball at Mortis, but Mortis ducks and it hits like the curtains behind her. And Cliff's like, holy spit. And then Mortis like screams a blast again. But then Jane uses like Flit's powers to like zip behind her. You know, she gets out of the way and she goes like, she's up on the stage behind, like behind beneath Mortis, throws another fireball, hits her in the back. Larry um, sends Keeg out and you know just kind of like collapses to to the to the floor 
Cliff grabs a row of seats and he tells him, Mortis, like, oh, he's like, <laughs> he's like, why don't you have a seat? But then he like freezes while holding. He's like, uh oh. And he like falls over. And then he's like, uh, if anyone hasn't noticed, we're aging more than ever. So Mortis, and Mortis is looking old too. She sends another blast out, but then Vic like hops over some rows. He makes a shield and he blocks it. He helps Cliff to his feet. Then Vic pulls out like a big flaming sword. And Cliff's like, hey, you got a knockoff Willoughby sword. He's like, this is no knockoff. And then Vic runs at her, at Immortus, jumps up with a sword, but then she just like swats him aside. <laughs> it's like, okay, that did nothing. Rouge uh, w- actually went to the mansion and she's trying to wake up Rita. She's like, you know, she's like, we need to talk. And she's like, you know, no matter what, what I do, it's, it's happening again. It's like, I can't escape this fate. I'm, I'm going to be the only survivor of a, a super team and it's all my fault. And Rita's like, what's going on? Because, you know, she was like out of it. And Rouge says the team is fighting Immortus. The butts are about to break into the theater. They don't stand a chance. And Rita's like, and you just left them? And she's, you know, she's like, that's what I always do. You know, I survive at any cost. You know, that's what's going to happen in, in the future that they saw. Rita, she refused to accept that. She's like, as long as they're alive, you, you know, you can change. And, you know, they can all change. And, you know, she's like, we're shapeshifters. And then she asks Rogue, she's like, why did you come here? And you know, Rouge doesn't really know whatever. She's like, I think I do. It's because you knew I'd hold you accountable. Now go get me a wheelchair. At the theater, Immortus like, you dum-dums should have stayed in the time stream. And Jane's like, fudge off. And then the words appear in the air. Because like, I forget um, which one of her the personas can make like words, whatever. So Immortus screams. The letters like twirl towards, towards the scream. And then one gets deflected, it flings back to like the doors of the theater and they kind of like bust them down. Butts start like bounding inside. And then Dr. Yu and Nicholas, Nicholas the Butt, they, they come in singing Shibupi. And it's like one of the, the songs from the, the play. Close like, WTF is going on. And Mortis is confused too. And the butts are like, start getting in the seats, they're like dancing in the seats. And Mortis is like, no, this isn't your show. It's my show. And she starts singing. And then the butts are watching. And then the butts join in. And in close, like, uh, he starts singing too. He's like, okay. And he's like, well, whatever's going on, it's helping. So they, they start, they're all start singing now. They start moving towards the back of the theater. And, they, and then like rainbow colors start like shooting out of the portal. Outside the theater, the whole place is kind of like shimmering with color. Rita and, and Rouge arrived, you know, down the street. And in the theater, is just consumed by big light swirls and it's gone. So back at the mansion... Larry makes pancakes and Cliff's like, I guess we could add Vanquish an interdimensional time god to our list of achievements. And then, you know, Larry sits on, he's like, ah, you know, I don't mean to be a wet blanket, but Rusha's like, but it's basically my entire personality. And they're like, oh, burn, you know, burn, you know. And he's like, oh, fine, you know. He's like, but as a resident wet blanket of truth, wasn't it technically, technically the butts who saved the day? But then Cliff's like, he's like, yeah, what were they singing? Remind me, a musical number that wouldn't have existed without us. Boom, proverbial mic drop. And Larry continues to say, he's like, well, you know, we could say the same about Immortus. You know, Isabel wouldn't become an interdimensional time god if it wasn't for us crashing into her. And he like looks at Rouge. And Cliff counters again with something else. But Larry says that they didn't even get their longevity back. And Jane's like, a win's a win, dude. She's like, let it go. So he's like... He raises a glass and you know to us with to victory, whatever. They all cheer. Rita's like, Oh, this feels nice. All of us here together. And then she's like, I'm gonna go try squeezing into my old uniform while we're celebrating. 
but then her like eyes closed and her head's like kind of like going down like she's about to fall asleep or something like that and Rouge is like Rita should I give you a hand and she's like oh you know she like kind of wakes her up she's like I, I can still dress myself but she's like but if you want to help why don't you crack open the good stuff and then Cliff gives uh, Vic, he's like, oh, you've been selling Girl Scout cookies? Because he's got like, he's like, what's with the, the tattoos? Or you know, He's got some markings on his armor. He says that they're like reminders for, you know, the stuff that he's done. Because, you know, he is a long way to become the cyborg. And, you know, you want to make sure certain things. But he's like, oh, this this one is a reminder of you guys. And Cliff's like, "What? you're with us all day. What do you need a reminder for? And Vic kind of like chuckles, but lets it go. It's because they're all about to die. They're all getting old. So, But, you know, he's not going to say that. And, and and then Vic's like to Jane, he's like, how, how are you doing with, with everything? And she says that she's still figuring things out. Cliff mentions that her throwing fireballs and flitting around. You know, she's like, that wasn't me or wasn't just, you know, me. She's like, we're all in this together, the entire underground. And Larry's like, is like well, if, if you're not just Jane, what should we call you? And she pauses and she's like, you know, there's one word I keep hearing in the back of my mind. Our minds kaleidoscope but i guess that's kind of a mouthful and larry's like what about k just the letter k but which is like k the, the girl and she's like i like that and then the doorbell rings they go to the door hey besties it's friggin' isabel she's like in this kind of like fancy glittery jumpsuit there's she's got like a coat with like feathers on it at the top or whatever and cliff quietly is like wtf and she's like, come on, lots of to tell, lots of tell. She's like, I just completed a very successful tour, debuted my 10th platinum record, blah, you know, all this stuff. So something spent like a thousand weeks at whatever and at, at the top of the charts. And they're like, but weren't you just gone like, you know, two hours or something like that? She, she says the time passes differently in the time stream. And she's like, anyways, I could not go another decade without thanking you all for introducing me to the butts, the monologues they've written for me, the songs. So she pulls like all this little plastic bag and she's like kind of holding out and Larry like takes it. He's like, fingernails? She laughs. She's like, no, silly toenails. There's one for each of you. Just eat one and you'll be sad little bags of old no more. And then Jane or Kay, she, she's like, eat a, a, a toenail? And she's like, mm-hmm. And close like, to restore our youth? Fudge, yes. Gimme. Get, get it into my feed hole. And she says that she has one more thing just for Cliffy. She gives him this little box and he opens it and he looks. We, I, I couldn't even tell what it is. And she's like, like, it'll make sense later. So when the time is right. And she's like, bye. And she like walks out. So Jane's like, puts a to toenail in her mouth and immediately turns young. Her hair grows longer. And then uh, they all look at her like, whoa. So then Rouge grabs one. She's like, I'll get one for Rita. She goes upstairs. Cliff's like, I'm back. She's like, it's like tiger's blood. And then you hear Rouge, no. She like screams. They go up there. Rita's lying in the bed. She's dead. And Larry's like, oh, God, poop, poop. Rita, he's like, what do we do? And Cliff's like, we go to her. He's like, we're in Doom Patrol. We should we should go pull Rita out of Satan's butt crack. You know, all this stuff. And Rouge's like, uh, how, do, how do we do that exactly? Larry says that they'll need something of hers, a tether, something that Rita had a strong connection to. So he goes downstairs to find something. And he's like, what what, what could it be? It's like, uh, you know, liquor? He's like looking at bottle stuff. And then you hear a ghost Rita's voice. She's like, is that what you think I had the strongest connection to? And he sees her ghost form. And she's like, it'll be all right. And he's like, but Immortus just gave us like toenails to, to make us all young again, which sounds gross. But, you know, he's just like kind of rambling. And then she just gives him a hug, even though even though she's a ghost, she's able to hug him. Then he's like, 
we, we, we can't give up. He's like, don't make me give up. And she's like, I'm sorry. And he's like, it's not fair. You're the only person that saw me, you know, right from the beginning. You saw all, you know, I was so messed up and, and you know, you never gave up on me. And she's like, you know, no matter what, it's like, there's always more love out there, especially for you. She's like, I promise. And she says like, she's like, I think it's time for one final meeting. So she thanks him all for gathering. Cliff's like, why are we sitting around talking when we should go to afterlife and save you? And everyone's like, except for Larry's like, like yeah, you know, fudge, yeah. And, and Rita starts talking about how things didn't go the way she thought, saying all this stuff. And Jane's like, why does this sound like the beginning of a farewell speech? And Rita's like, well, death has a way of clarifying things. I now know what my purpose was. It was to lead us and uh, to the first step of the rest of our lives. Mission accomplished. And Vic's like, mission accomplished? Mission hasn't even started yet. Rita's like, I'm ready to rest now. And Rouge is like, are you saying you want to stay dead? And Rita says that, you know, we didn't always bring out the best in each other. Having each other means that we didn't have to always spread our wings. So she, what she's doing is, is to set them all free. And Cliff's like, well, that's easy for you to say. You get, you know, all the sex ghosts you want now. And Rouge is like, well, what about the Doom Patrol? And Rita says that she doesn't think it was ever meant to be their final stop. They're all on their own extraordinary journeys, and they all have so far to go. So if they stop here, they'll just keep falling into the same cycles, making the same bad decisions, feeling the same pain. It's like they're screw-ups, but that doesn't make them bad people. They just need to work on themselves before they can really help others. So moving on is, is one of the scariest things in the world, but they've taken on some of the most treacherous villains, and you know they're capable of standing on their own. And then Cliff's like, oh, come on. She's like, nah, now we're breaking up? This is fudged, Rita. And Larry's like, he's like, deep down. He's like, we all know it's true. Every crisis we've ever solved, we created in the first place. Rita's right. Until we're better as individuals, we'll continue to cause harm. And he's like, to the world, to each other. And Rouge says, uh, you know, she, you're supposed to be our leader. And Rita's like, I am. And I'm calling it. It's time to disband. The Doom Patrol is no longer. But first... We have one last assignment. I would like you to burn my body. And Cliff's like, nope, nope, I refuse. He's like, I wouldn't burn that, you know, Niles, whatever. I hated him. It's like, I'm not going to burn yours. And and Vic stands up. And he's like, if this is what you really want, Rita, you have my support. And then Larry, um, Jane, and Rouge, they stand up. And Cliff's like, he's like, hang on. But then they're outside. Her body's wrapped out. They're out in the front. And they're, like, dressed up. You know, you see, like, Larry's wearing a suit and everything. And, you know, Jane has this, like, dress on. And... Cliff, he goes up, he puts like a compact mirror on the body. He's like, since she was always concerned about her look. And Ghost Reader's like, that's uh, sweet. And Vic puts down like some honey. He's like, because she like bees, I, th I think. And Rita's like, okay, yeah, sure. And she like, kind of scoffs. Ro <laughs> Rouge puts down a, a martini. She's like, perfect, you know, dry with a pinch of salt. Her favorite thing in the whole world. And Larry's like, oh, good choice. And Ghost Reader mutters, she's like, it wasn't my favorite thing. And then, you know, then Rita looks at Jane and Larry. She's like, I know you two took it seriously. What'd you bring? Awkwardly, Jane holds up like a, a like a, one of those like beauty mirrors that you hold, you know, a handheld mirror. And, and Larry has like a bottle. He's like trying to hide it. Rita's like, oh, let's just get this over with. So Larry's like, I can't believe this is happening. And, you know, they'd say some stuff and then lights it. Whoosh, and Rita's, you know, they're looking at it. Rita's like, oh, I didn't realize I was so flammable. And Rouge's like, it's probably all the alcohol. And and then Jane starts singing Ave Maria. It's, it's really nice. It's it's like so it's very very beautiful. You know, very touching and also like that. 
And then, then Cliff, like, oh, 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 starts sobbing really loudly, which kind of kind of ruins the mood a little bit. But then Rita's body starts expanding and, like, kind of floating up. And they're all kind of, like, looking at it. And Rita's like, oh, somebody do something. So Rouge takes, like, a, a stick and, like, starts poking it, pops it. And it, poosh, and then they're all, like, it, it stinks. And then they're, like, kind of gagging her. And they're like, oh, it smells like burnt rubber. And she's like, oh, that's fine. You don't need to describe it. And, and she's like, it's it's fine. And then she disappears. So that's it. No more Rita. Inside, they're going to watch Secret Rendezvous, which is one of Rita's movies, I guess. Um, Vic comes in with snacks. And Jane's like, s'mores? He's like, there's something wrong with you, dude. Because <laughs> Rita's body and the, the wrapping look like a giant s'more. He's like, what? It's like, I had a craving. So then, you know, the movie's over. You know, the end credits are like, well, what do we do now? Call it a night? Larry's like, uh, does anyone want to watch it again? They're like, good idea, Larry. So they watch again, and they're, like, asleep on, on the couch. Uh, but Cliff's not there. So Jane kind of rolls over a little, and then she notices he's gone. And he's out in the garage by the car. And she's like, seriously? You're just going to leave without saying goodbye? He's like, well, it's not goodbye. It's just a new chapter. And he, he then he's like, well, what are you going to do now? She's like, I don't know. Maybe get a sublet, paint. He's like, that is so fudging lame. I'm serious. You're like an unstoppable now. You could be a superhero, some poop. You could take over the Justice League. You could pant Superman. It's like, I, I don't think that's what we want. Saying all like all of her, her personas. She's like, as lame as it sounds, it feels like the right move for now. You know, maybe something else will come along, you know, the, a different path that'll feel writer, even writer. She says something like that. And she's like, you know, whatever I do, it's not just up to me anymore. And then, you know, they say some stuff. Then she gives, like, a long hug. So he drives, starts driving off. And then as he's driving, he sticks his arm up, flips her off. She laughs, flips him off in return. Larry goes to his room, sits on the floor. He's like, what now, little guy? He's like, I guess we can do whatever we want. We have time now. And he's like, yeah, I know, I know. It's like, I want to see him too, but 104 is gone. The, then the mansion's like, the, all the furniture is covered in sheets. It seems like I guess everyone's gone. Vic walks into the living room to get like a final look or something like that. Then, but Rouge is like there, and you know she had been drinking, and you know she says that when they went to the future and she saw that she wasn't there, she wasn't surprised. You know, story of her life. She's like, I come, I do damage, I run. That's what I do. Vic's like, well, you know, it might get lonely in this uh, big old place by yourself. And she's like, well, there's always a sex ghost. And then Vic's like, can I tell you a secret? And she's like, uh huh. He's like, when I was in a time stream, I saw my future my new future and she's like what was it like so he's like he pauses and he's like perfect it's like everything i could have ever wanted you know more i i know it's going to be an uphill journey but for the first time in my life i feel like i'm finally on a path i'm carving myself and she's like oh it sounds enviously you know it sounds wonderful or something like that and she's like nothing a drop more vodka won't fix and he's like you know you could carve your own path too and she kind of like scoffs and he's like, you know, well, what feels right for you? But she's not really sure. You know, she says she has thought of some things. And, but then, you know, she asks if he thinks it's possible for someone to be both good and bad. And he's like, you know, I used to think there was no shades of gray, only black or white. Being here has done a lot to change my perspective. I've learned that the line between the two can be razor thin. You know, sometimes it's, it's hard to spot sometimes. And then she whispers, she's like, how will I know where the line is? He just like gets up. He's like, I'll let you know when you've gone too far. She's like, okay. We see Larry's like packing and, you know, then he opens like the nightstand. He finds like this red like handkerchief. And then there's like a flash. It's from before his crash when he was with his, his lover, you know, on the, at the air force base or whatever. And then, 
then he's you know and he says to, to Keeg, he's like, "Do you think you could find Rama?" And Keeg starts to try to leave, but he he like holds him back. He's like, "No, no, no." He's like, "I meant together." He's like, "Let's go find him together." Jane's sitting on the stairs. She's like looking at a tablet. It's like the screen's cracked. She's trying to you know look, she's looking up a, a sublet. You know like different kitchens and you know, whatever stuff. And Larry like hurries down the stairs and she's like, do you want to watch a movie with me? He's like, sorry. He's like, I, I need to go. And she's like, go where? He's like, I don't know. And he kind of laughs. She's like, that doesn't sound like you, but okay. And then eh, 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 the big alarm starts, starts going off. And she's like, no one's here. Doom Patrol's over. But then she, the alarm is going off. So she has to go turn it off. So she goes downstairs, whatever. Kill, hit, kills like the power switch, you know, turns the lever uh, like down and then Casey pops out from the shadows she's like oh sorry she's like I think that was me and Jane's like surprised to see her she's like oh th did I scare you she's like uh you know I'm sorry it's just Dorothy said the manor would be empty and there was a spaceship here that no one else was using so and Jane's like oh, or Kay she's like where, where are you taking it and Casey's like um I, I don't know yet space just felt like a good place to start she's like what about you what are, what are you gonna do now that the Doom Patrol is gone and Jane's like, I, I think I'll find a sublet, work on my paintings. And Casey's like, oh, that sounds nice, peaceful. And Jane's like, thanks. And Casey's like, actually, to be completely honest, when Dorothy said the manor would be empty, I was kind of hoping she was wrong. I, I just wanted you to know. And then there's like kind of like a pause. And then Jane's like, how long are you going for? And Casey's like, a week, a month, maybe three, not sure yet. So then Jane's like, she looks over, she's like, what is that? Like 500 square feet? Uh, Casey's like, uh, I think so. And Jane's like, hmm, modern appliances, large windows, lots of natural light, hell of a view. She's like, what do you say, Captain? You got room for one more? Big smile on Casey's face, they both chuckle. Then in Florida, it's Rory's first birthday, you know, sitting in a high chair in front of a cake with one candle. Cliff's, you know, right with there with them. And then, uh, he he takes it's what he like it's kind of gross he scoops some of the frosting sticks into rory's mouth and then he like and he's like oh he's like oh the chomper on this kid or whatever then he takes him outside you know to his car to show him he's like oh it doesn't look like much but you know we'll be able to work on it it's like your mom's pretty you know you're pretty maybe he said your mom's i don't know if they're both handy with with the engine or just clara but then sadly he like freezes up and Clara comes up, she's like, Dad, what's wrong? He's like, oh, nothing, whatever. And then Rory starts crying, so she takes him. And Cliff's like, Ugh. he manages to move. But then you see it's like his hands shaking. He's like, sorry, Clara. He's like, I thought I was coming home to live, but I think I just came home to die. And she like puts her arm around, like his arm. Rita's walking in the afterlife, and as a bird lands on her shoulder, and then you hear a man's voice like, good to see you, stranger. And he's wearing like this weird mask. We've, I think we've, it's one we've seen before. He takes it off. So it's the love of her life that she lost. So she runs to him and then they hug. So happily ever after for, for Rita, she gets to be with her, her lost love after all these years. So even though she's dead, but then the afterlife, I mean, you spend eternity together and I guess that's not, not a bad thing. So then they're just hugging. Then Larry flies to the bottom of the ocean. He picks up a box. Didn't 104 say he was going to change himself to whatever material and sink and just whatever sit there? So he picks up this block of whatever, flies out into space. It starts crackling with energy, and it turns into Rama, to Mr. 104. And then Larry's bandages kind of float off, and then Larry's like, it's okay. He's like, everything's going to be okay. He's like, you'll be safe. Keeg's got us. He's like, we're going to be fine, and the world will be too. And Rama, 104, he's like, thank you. And then they smooch, and there's a big bright light. 
we see Vix in, in Detroit. He's in a class with Derek. Derek says that, you know, you guys like, you recognize him? He's here to help us with the class. He's, he's going to be my number two, kind of like my sidekick. And his punk kid's like, this is corny. He's like, shouldn't you be kicking butt, saving the world? And Vic sighs. He's like, he's like, trust me, what you do here is going to save more lives than I ever will out on the streets of my own. So I'm going to need you all to listen extra hard because we're all in this together. And everything we do in this classroom is going to make a difference. We see Jane's painting on the ship. Casey comes into room with a kitten i think i don't know where he got the kitten from at first i was like wait is that a cat i was like maybe it's it's a baby goat from the engine that you're supposed to feed apple i don't remember how that works but jane kind of laughs and takes it and she gives casey a little kiss which is like a surprise to both of them and then they're just like staring and jane's like oh crap it's like what did i just do but then you know they just look at each other for a bit and then they start smooching so happily ever after for jane and casey which is sweet Rouge gets off in the elevator. She's at the ant farm. And you see like some soldiers and some dudes in suits. They like turn around down the hallway. She has a big blowtorch. Starts unleashing it. And she's just like this evil like laugh. So she's torching a place. The place is horrible. So it's not evil. It's a good thing, right? <laughs> that that fine line, I guess. Claire is working on the, the car engine, cl you know, close behind the wheel. And uh, Rory's in a car seat next to him. And then... Uh, they need some some part, and it turns out Rory has it. So Cliff goes to reach for it, and then his his hand freezes again. And then he looks at this crystal hanging in a mirror, and he sees Rory as like an older kid. Then he, so he's like, "Holy spit! That's what Immortus was talking about." So Immortus, what she gave him in the box must have been this crystal. So you can see Rory in a crystal, and then it it cuts to him being older. He's uh, learning how to drive with Clara, and she you know she's kind of freaking out, you know, because he's like driving in the wrong lane or something, whatever. And then we see him; he's about to leave for prom. Uh, you know, the other other mom's like taking a picture with the phone. Clara hands um, some some condoms like that. And he's like, "Mom." And then, you know, then the, the girlfriend's just kind of smiles, whatever. Then we see he's driving next, you know, they're a little older. He's driving with his dad. He's like, I can't believe I'm going to be a dad. So he's taking her to the hospital. Then you see, just is kind of sad. He's like driving off his wife, his girlfriend, wife, and like their kids out there. And she's like, Rory, you suck or whatever. And then we see Rory's older with his mom. She's like really old. And she's like, I'm scared. So I think she might have cancer because it looked like, you know, she might have had a thing over her hair. And then you see, this was like sad. And then you see Rory in a car at cemetery and he's like, he's crying. And then it cuts to Cliff holding Clara as a baby. He's like, oh, I'm your dad. And more flashbacks or, you know, Clara's older at the track and stuff like that. And then we see, you know, Rory's older again. He's behind the wheel of the car and his his daughter she's older she gets in the car with the baby she's like oh look it's like this is your grandpa and then it cuts back to the present and claire's you know she's at the pasture she's like it's like dad what's wrong he's like it's okay it's okay i made it home and then he powers down and it's over his eyes just go you know turn off i was like oh my gosh he just died it's like it's so sad but he he got to see rory's future in the crystal even though he wasn't able to be part of it. So that's kind of sad. And it's crazy that that's how it ends. But I mean, I guess we see everyone's ending. And it, what I, I like about it is, is with the series finale, So not everyone gets a happy ending. You know, some people get a happy ending. I mean, well, sort of. I mean, almost everyone gets a happy ending in a way. You know, Rita's dead, but she kind of has a happy ending. 
you know, Jane and Larry are going to have a happy ending. Cliff kind of gets a happy ending, but he, he dies too. And, and yeah, so that was, uh, that was, that was something. So I, I just really enjoyed the show. It, I can't say that it was always consistent with, a in terms of quality, you know, sometimes it was just like a little like, eh, okay, this is fine. You know, there's some, some hiccups along the way, but I just really loved, and I know I've said this before. I just love how it was just so weird and wacky sometimes that it didn't try following a formula. Like, like, you know, this is obviously it's so far from a CW show, you know, as you can get, you know, not, not even just the swearing and the sex ghost or whatever, but I just like how they didn't try conforming to any, 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 you know, they just, they did whatever the heck they wanted to do. And, and which is perfect for, you know, the, whatever, you know, Grant Morrison was doing when, when he was writing Doom Patrol and all that, because, you know, there's, there's so much from that era. So I was just, it was, it was a really good show. And the only bummer is I feel like it, the show might have gone under the radar. You know, like when the show came back just now, you know, a few weeks ago, a month or whatever, I didn't realize it was back. It was like, you know, two or three weeks. I'm like, oh, crap, the show came back. So I, I don't I don't ever s- s- recall seeing anyone even talking about the show. And I feel like it just really went under the radar. And, and that's too bad. So I, I hope people get a chance to check it out because there's just it was just really interesting. So, um yeah thanks for you know four seasons of of doom patrol it's uh it's 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 sad that it's over but that's how it goes right with invincible season two episode four it's been a while so let's just get right into it um there's a flashback we see omni man stands over beaten and bloody invincible and he's like dad and then he like flies off into space and he just like this was this after their, their fight first season he just like flies and flies. Eventually, you know, he he's like he's been flying so much he's got like a beard and it almost looks like he's like sleeping while he's flying. He's just flying through space. He sits on this barren planet. And it's like, wait, does he actually feel bad? He flies through space some more. Then you see like this alien ship like crashing nearby or whatever, and he's just like looking at it. Then he goes and he stops and he like brings it down to to the planet. And the aliens are grateful and he just turns away to like you know to fly away but then a thraxon you know so these are the bug aliens from the ship calls out to him they're like like you know to wait they're like i don't know who you are but we owe you you know our lives it's like won't you stay you know tell us your name where you know where do you come from and he just kind of like thinks it over then it cuts to him in the present clean shaven except for his mustache of course and he's like reaching out to mark he's like hello son it's been a while and mark's like dad and then you see, he like clenches his fist. He like walks up to him, takes off his mask. He's like scowling at him. He does a little, <clears throat> like a little like flinch towards him. And you know, Omni Man, you know, Nolan doesn't do anything like that. And then he wraps his arms around him. And as far as like, I, I missed you. Mark's like, this was all you bringing me here. The Thraxon said that they needed my help. He's like, they do. You know, they do need your help. And he's like, why? He's like, it's complicated. He's like, come with me. And he's like, no, why would you lie to me again? You kill thousands of people. Why would you think I'd I'd ever want to see you again? You call mom a pet. He's like, Mark, I need your help. He's like, I can't believe you put them up to this. You made them lie to me? Just listen. I don't need to listen to anything you say. He's like, I made a mistake. And I thought about you every day. A mistake? He's like, son. He's like, no, you don't get to call me that anymore. He's like, well, what do you want me to say, Mark? It's like, well, you could have started with, I'm sorry, but you know what? Don't bother. It's like, all right. You know, it, it wouldn't mean anything anyways. It's like, hope you like it here with your new friends. Guess they don't know you the way I do. It's like, fudge you. He doesn't say fudge. He flies away and Omni-Man flies up to him. He's like, you'll never make it home on your own. He's like, watch me. And he's like, Mark, it's millions of miles away. You don't know the way. 
He's like, come back and we'll talk. He's like, please. He's like, what are you going to do if I don't? Knock my teeth out again? He's like, I'll get you a ship home, but I need you to see something first. These people need your help. He's like, they weren't lying. He's like, I don't care. He's like, that's not true. He's like, I know you. You do care. Then he's like, five minutes. So then Mark's like, what? You came and conquered this planet instead of Earth? And now he's like, he's like, I didn't conquer. He's like, they asked me to be emperor. And he's like, whatever. So they go into this building and then... uh <laughs> this, this alien comes up to him and they like, <laughs> like tongue kiss. This alien tongue kisses Omni Man and she like calls him like husband. And Mark's like, WTF? He's like, You're married to mom. He's like, Well, I can't go back to Earth, Mark. He's like, Not ever. He's like, The life I had there is over. He's like, So you wanted me show, you wanted to show me how great your life is without us? Like, fine. He's like, That's not what I want to show you. Then he like turns around. He's holding like a purple toddler in his hand. And Mark's like, Who's that? This is your little brother. He's like, you got to be an <laughs> cute, invincible logo. But it's like, fudging kidding me. And then it cuts to Debbie's walking through the city. She's like walking barefoot. She's like in a daze. I don't know if this is still from walking home from a bar or whatever. But she, you know, she drove there, right? But she just looks so defeated. She ends up by Nolan, uh, Nolan Grayson's grave. And she starts asking, he's like, why me? It's like, you could have married anyone. It's like, what is it just, you know, to be cruel? Everything we built in 20 years, it's like, none of it was real. You know, it's like... You know, you weren't real, only Mark, and you almost took him too. So he's like, I never knew you at all, did I? And she starts like sobbing. So you got to feel bad for her, and it's just like horrible. Then we see Mahler. Uh, he's listed as King Mahler. So he's making another clone. Um, he's in injecting his memories into it and everything like that. The clone immediately thinks that he's original, but because the other one is like half melted from working with a, what's his name? And so he's like, well, for the first time, we know who the original is and who's the inferior. So the other one can't argue against it because, you know, now they know. Donald goes to Debbie's. He knocks on the door. You know, there's no answer. Then he looks at the destroyed house across the street. So that's where he blew up, supposedly. So he goes there and he like walks into the rubble or whatever. And then he finds a pair of broken glasses in there. It's just like his. At the college... Williams uh, walks with Amber, then Eve shows up, and she seems kind of down, and, you know, she's like, oh, yeah, you know, I tried texting Mark, and I haven't heard anything, so Williams, she, he's like, you remember Se Seance Dog? He's like, he's really a bug alien from another planet, and she's like, what are you talking about? So Amber's like, Mark's on a space mission, but, you know, that was a week ago, so then uh, Amber's like, are you okay? She's like, you know, can we, can we, let's go have a coffee and talk, because, you know, obviously something's bothering her. But, you know, they have a class or anything like that. So then they're like, well, okay, let's make plans, you know, brunch tomorrow. So Mark says that, you know, he doesn't even know what to say to his dad. You know, he's like, you know, you just replaced me and mom. And, you know, he's like, the kid is way older than six months. And Omni-Man's like, the alien biology is different. He's like, I didn't replace you. He's like, I was lost when I left Earth. He's like, I found them. I saved lives. It felt right to save them. And you know, Mark doesn't buy it. And his dad's like, the, you know, the kid's innocent. You know, Viltrumite rules on interspecies breeding are not complicated he's like we're only allowed to procreate with genetically similar species humans for example he's like by now viltrum knows i left my post they'll track me and find this planet they'll see your brother as an inferior and kill him he's like i can't stop them alone but we can together and mark's just outraged you know he's like you want me to save a kid that you had with another woman while married to mom and he's omni man's like he's your brother he's like you don't get to put that on me and then he's like, you know, how could he even help? He couldn't even beat him. You know, Mark couldn't beat his dad, one, one, one you know, Voltramite. And he's like, well, we can start training, you know, right away. Get you ready for what's coming. 
And Mark's just like thinking. And then and he's like, well, he's like, I'm thinking. And then there's a whoosh, whoosh, three vulture mites have arrived. So Nolan's like upset. He's like, no, it's too soon. So he tells Mark, he's like, get Andresa, that's a, a, his alien wife or whatever, get Andresa and, and your brother to safety. Eve is a, she, she you know, uh, Amber had asked her if she had a place to stay or whatever until tomorrow. She's like, oh, I got a place nearby. So she's hanging. At first, I was like, where's she at? I don't know if it was like a former um, Guardian's headquarters, something like that. So, you know, she takes a shower and then she hears like some clatter. Turns out kill cannons like breaking into something to steal, like some sort of power source spear or something that that robot put there because he makes some comments like, oh, you should just leave this lying around or whatever. And she comes up to him. She's like, did you ever pick the wrong night to rob this place? Because obviously she's like, this is awesome because I have some anger issues. I just want to get this out. And he's like, oh, I thought you left this place. He's like, I guess they ditched you as well. And, you know, she says, it's been a long week, so put robot things back, and I won't have to bleep, beat the living spit out of you. He's like, you want this back? And he, I think he, like, loaded into his cannon arms like that. He's like, come and get it. And she's like, wrong choice, a-hole. So we see Mark flying with Andressa. You know, he's carrying her and his, his brother. There's, like, this secret cave in a cliffside or something like that. So she calls him, like, the caves of Roclane or something like that. Then he says that, He's like, oh, he never told me what, what you know the kid's name was. And she says that they allow children to choose their own names when they come of age. And she talks about, you know, the Thrax and lifespan are only like one of Earth's years. So, you know, they only live like a year long. Like, and she's like, oh, it seems long enough because, you know, that's, that's her entire thing. But it seems that Mark's father's genes have slowed their son's aging. And, you know, they, they expected his, his first words to happen any day now. But then she says that, you know, she and Nolan, it's, it's not like, you know, what, what he thinks. You know, she didn't knowingly try to replace his mother. He's like, yeah, I, I, didn't, I, I didn't mean that. She's like, your father saved my life and the lives of many others. At first, it was, it was hard to know him. He was so hurt, so closed off after what happened on Earth. It's like, I fell in love with him before I knew his story. And Mark's like, I, I know none of this is your fault, but it, it still hurts. So she starts saying how much Nolan misses him. and But then there's like this big boom. There's like the caves rumbling. And then a Voltronite busts in. He's like, so it's true. The great Nolan fathered a child with an earth woman. And Mark's like, what do you want? So that this dude's name is Lucan. And he's like, so he's like, Mark's like, what do you want? He's like, you, if you fight well, we may allow you to join the empire. If not, you die. And Mark's like, stay back. I'm warning you. And then the baby starts crying. And Lucan like swats Mark aside. Nolan made another child with these disgusting creatures. So Mark flies and gives Lucan like a flying punch, but then he like scoffs and you know he like he shrugs off the punch. Mark's like run, run. So he like punches. Mark gets like slammed down. His like nose is bloody already. He's like, are you sure you're Nolan's son and not an insect like these creatures? So he's like holding Mark's head down with just like one finger and he's like pushing it into the ground, like smushing it in there. And Mark's like struggling and then shroom. Omni Man comes like knocks him away. Stay away from my children, Lucan. And then Lucan's like, You knew the consequences when you had them. So he flies at Nolan. The, the fighting causes like this big stone to like start falling towards Andressa and the baby. So Mark flies over there. He catches it. He's like hold, trying to hold it up. And then uh, Lucan's like, You deserve death. And Nolson, Nolan does like this side like karate chop at Lucan's front. And like his intestines like, so it's like, like start pouring out. And then Luke uh, Nolan grabs like it's big like it wasn't like a stalagmite or tight what it was like a big sharp rock, shoom, stabs it in his midsection like through the intestines, pins him against the wall, and he's like I know because you know he says he does deserve death. So then it's like oh Lucan's dead, 
so Lucan calls out to Mark and Andressa, and they they climb out of wreckage, and she's like, "We're fine. Mark sheltered us." So then Nolan tells them to go deeper into the caves, and he tells Mark, "He's like, come with me." He's like, "There's two more." Eve and Kilcannon are still fighting. I don't know where they're at because it looks like they're at the Golden Gate Bridge. I don't know if it's supposed to be Golden Gate or if there's some other bridge that looks just like it. He tries shooting it like at the top of like the tower parts and get pieces of fall on her, but she catches him in a bubble. She flings him at him, but he like goes flying off the bridge. She catches him, slams him against like a big support beam, and she's like, oh, what's the matter? You done already? Get up. That's right. Come on. We're not done yet. And his cannon starts like glowing, you know, like starting to power up. He turns and fires, but she blocks the beams, but it like ricochets off her shield. It hits a car. So the car goes skidding and it's like hits the side railing. It's like hanging over the railing. And, and you know, she moves to save them, but then Kill Cannon shoots her from behind. And then, you know, she's on the ground. She sees a car go over, but she still manages to catch it like in a, one of her whatever bubbles. Kill Cannon comes up, like kicks her in the head. And then she loses concentration. The car plummets into water. And he just like laughs. It's like, okay, this guy's a complete scumbag. And he kicks her a couple more times. He's like, now who's done? He fires up his cannon, but then she manages to get up. She kind of you know, moves his arm away, locks it into the ground in like a bubble. It like fires, sends him flying back, smacks into support beam, and like falls to the, to the, the, the ground. So then she goes into water and she's like, you know, looking around. She brings a car out. And like ambulances have riot, and she's like, "Help!" You know, she and she's like, "Like, you know, please, please help them." Debbie finally made it home. She's looking at old photos, like Nolan Mark as a kid, and then Art Rosenbaum, the suit tailor guy, he comes in, you know, comes over to check on her, and she says, "She's fine. I'm not fine." And she's like, "You know, she still can't wrap her head around it." And she's like, "Was it all a lie?" And she's just questioning everything. Donald goes into like a server room or whatever. He looks up Grayson, Grayson surveillance. He goes to click on a video, but then he gets access denied. So then he puts in Cecil's password. He clicks video. He sees Nolan like smash out of the house. He sees himself like shooting Nolan to get like uh, Debbie and, and Mark out or whoever out there. Then he, he sees Nolan like grabbing at his spine, ripping it out or whatever. And then he says something. It's been nice serving you with you. And then the explosion. And Cecil or Donald's just like shocked. He's like, did I just see myself die? It's like, what does that mean? Nolan and Mark fly to like the alien city, but it's like decimated. There's like tons of dead aliens. Nolan starts like clenching his fist. He grabs Mark by the throat, which is like Mark didn't do it. He's like, why? Why do I care about them? It's like they were weak, short-lived, barely a species. They shouldn't matter to me. And Mark's like, that doesn't mean they should die. He's like, you don't understand. I'm not supposed to feel this way. He's like, how is this better? And Mark's like, this is how you should have felt on Earth. So Nolan's eyes go big. And then behind him, two vulture mites, uh, Vidor and Thula, they're floating there. Vidor is like, there's a great Nolan. Lucan found you first, I see. Glad you haven't gone too soft. And he's like, Lucan was weak. Now he's dead. And they're like, uh, and then I think uh, Thula, she's like, then he deserved to die. And uh, the, the first... Uh, uh, what's his name? Vidor. It's like, like these insects. You barely touch them and they die. He's Lone's like, I'll kill you for what you did to these people. And and Vidor's like, then do it. So Nolan flies at him, smashes his structure. Mark looks at Thula. He's like, wait, we don't have to. And she's like, because you're Nolan's son, I'll make this quick. So Nolan and Vidor are exchanging punches. Then he gets distracted because he looks down. He sees Mark's like in a fight. Um, Thula wraps her, like she has this big thick braid with this like metal 
heavy thing at the end. She wraps her braid around like Mark's throat, like kind of choking him and, and pulling him. Nolan like slams into her to break the grass, but then he gets hit from Vidor. He's like, why so worried? If your son dies, he never deserved to live. And he's like, talking won't help you, you know, stay alive. And, you know, Vidor gets slammed into Thula. Nolan says to Mark, he's like, what are you doing? She's tearing you apart. Mark's like, yeah, I noticed. He's like, you're fighting like you're on Earth. This is different. Stop holding back. Or you're going to get us both killed. And Mark's like, I'm not holding back. Nolan's like, yes, you are. She's trying to kill you, Mark. If you're not trying to kill her, you're going to die. He's like, don't think, act. You need to fight like a vulture might. And Mark's like, no, I don't kill people. Nolan grabs him by like the front of his you know, costume. He's like, if you don't do this, we're all dead. You, me, your brother, and every single Thraxen on this planet. And then, boosh, they're like the, the two, they're out of the rubble. They're, they're ready to, to take them out again. He's like, remember what I told you. He flies off. Thula flies at Mark, starts knocking him back. She starts like cutting him with the, like the metal thing. And he's like, whoosh, whoosh. she's like kind of like playing with him almost. And then he's like groaned. He sees like a pile of dead Thraxons behind her. He manages to dodge her braid because she's like just kind of swinging it around or anything. He hits her in the jaw. And then she goes to kick him, he grabs her leg, and then he like elbows her in the nose, punches her, you know, back. She goes flying back, then like more dodging, more hitting. She like falls to her knees, like catch her breath. Then she she grabs the metal thing, you know, to try to stab him with it. But he dodges, he grabs her braid, like swings her around, like flings her. There exchanges more punches, whatever. Um, you know, between like all four, it's just like like all all four just like smashing each other. Finally, Nolan um he he punches like it's pretty pretty nasty. It's you know, typical, you know, something Ryan Otley would draw. He punches both sides of Vidor's head, kind of crushing the skull a little bit. Then Mark holds like Thula by by the, the hair, and he's got like his fist back, like you know, he's like about to punch her, but he's just like you know hesitating, whatever. She takes advantage of hesitation, whoosh, stabs him in the front with like her her braid thing, and then he like kind of kicks her back. She you know, she, but he falls down, and she's like, I'd say you fought well, but but then Nolan. Um, he has his, his head on, on Vider's head. And he's like, do you regret attacking my family now? Do you? And you hear, dad. And, you know, she's about to slash Mark's throat. So Nolan flies at her, hits her. He grabs her braid and pulls her, like, you know, he, like, hits her. She goes flying back, but he pulls her back from the braid. And he, like, extends his elbow out and, like, smashes right into her jaw and, like, just, like, smashes her lower, like, face. And he's like, Mark, are you okay? And he's like, No. And he kind of like chuckles. He's like, don't worry, it's over. He's like, let me have a look. But then Lucan flies back at them. He didn't die in the cave somehow. Even though his intestines were hanging out, he got stabbed right through the front. He goes a flying kick into Nolan's back. And he's just like holding his intestines in place. <laughs> and he's like, next time you kill somebody, make sure they're dead. And then he like radios like, it's done. And he just like collapses. Cecil's talking to, to Debbie. He's like, you know, you should think this over. And she's like, I have. She's like, I don't want Nolan's book money. He's like, I don't want your money. It's like, the survivors in Chicago need it more than I do. He's like, I think you're making a mistake. And she's like, I'm thankful for what you've done for me and Mark, but you don't get something for nothing in this world. And you especially don't get something for nothing from you. And he's kind of like taken back by that a little bit. And she's like, you know, you wouldn't be protesting half as much if the money wasn't a way to keep a hold on Mark and me. It's like, we take it, we feel we owe you, and I'm done feeling that way. He's like, well, if you change your mind, and she's like, I won't. And then he just, like, teleports out of there. And then, you know, she's moving the box around. There's one, there's, like, some baseball gloves. She decides to keep those because there's a, a picture of Mark and Nolan, you know, when Mark was a little kid with baseball glove. So Mark wakes up. He sees some vulture mites, like, 
taking one of the, the injured. I think guess one of them. So maybe uh, Lucan survived. So he's he's he, like in some sort of stretcher thing. They're taking him to this big ship. He sees his dad like strapped down and his arms like you know he's all restrained. And he's like dad. And he's like Mark. Don't forget the, the good I did. My work. My deed. My books. Read my book, Mark. But then Debbie's like leaving some boxes outside. She drives away. The boxes were like full of Nolan's books. So I guess he, he wrote a bunch of them. Um, then we see Eve's on a bus. Amber texts her, is like, are, we, are you coming or nah? And she's, I think she just ignores it. And it, I get, it looks like she goes home. She like knocks on the door and she walks inside. So I guess she's going to try to make up with her parents or whatever. Donald's like looking at himself in the bathroom. Then he takes out a blade and then he like jabs into his arm, like kind of cuts. And then he like watches the blood come out and he's like, thank God. I guess he was kind of worried. He's like, what is he, like a robot or something like that? But then, you know, he picks up the blade that he dropped in the sink and he sees the tip is like a little bent. So even though he jabbed himself, somehow he, he, he managed to bend the blade, which is not a good thing. But then uh, Cecil calls him. He's like, like Donald, where, where the hell are you? He's like, we have a situation. Mark wakes up again and you're good. You're awake. And he's like, my dad, you know, wh what are you doing? Don't speak. It's, it's uh, Clancy Brown's voice. He's like, don't speak. Listen, my name is General Creek. You survived your first true battle, proving yourself worthy of your vulture heritage. And Mark's like, go fudge it. Like, this is him. Your father will be executed, and you will return to Earth. You will assume his mission and prepare the planet for our rule. I know this may not appeal to you, given your sympathies, so I'll put it like this. You can kill a few humans to convince them to capitulate, or we kill millions if we arrive to find you or your planet still defined against us. We will check on your progress soon. And unlike your father, we do not change our minds. Good luck on your mission. And he flies the ship and then they leave. So it's like that's the end of the episode credits. But then mid-credit scene, the warehouse, Mahler twins are working. Um, the, the clone is basically doing all the work. And, you know, King Mahler, he's criticizing the work of his clone. He's like, oh, but it'll do. He's like, I don't know why I didn't think of this sooner. It's like, why stop at one idiot clone when we can have so many more? He's talking about, like, hopefully be better in his work in his kitchen, the way he cooks. He's like, you can't even make you know, decent lemonade. He, you know, he drinks. Then he starts gagging, and the clone's like, his brisk whatever, roulette, you know, his food is perfect. He's like, so is my lemonade when it's not laced with a modified myotoxin, that is. And then King Mahler dies, and that's where it ends. So I guess not. Not if, if that is a mid-season replacement or re, mid-replacement. If that is a mid-season finale, it um, seems seems kind of weird because it's it's not like a it's not like a huge cliffhanger. But I mean, I guess there's a stuff like you know what is Mark going to do now, and uh, so I guess we'll have to wait and see. I don't think there's a date. Because um, according to IMDb, it just says episode five is 2024. So, was it, I mean, they've done that before, but maybe, I mean, is it January? Is it July? I, maybe, you know, I haven't heard anything. So we'll see. But that was Invincible, at least for now. Okay, then with uh, Scott Pilgrim takes off, I think, I think I'm only going to do uh, one episode this week because there's just an insane amount of TV, as, I, as I've mentioned earlier. So episode... Four, whatever. <laughs> I, 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 yeah, whatever. 
Uh, it starts off, this is a Lucas Lee episode, which is great because I love Chris Evans. So Lucas Lee's alarm goes off. He's in this big mansion, huge, huge mansion. And it tells us this in Glendale, California. He goes in his room. There's like a bunch of skateboards. And there's this, like this busted one in, in this display case in the middle. He pulls down the board and it has a big number two on there because, you know, he's a number two evil ex-boyfriend. He goes skating around his property. There's more of a ninja paparazzi nearby. He he gets like a facial. He sits by the pool. There's more skating. He celebrates later... like he's at a restaurant with with his friends his, his agent calls and she's like i got bad news and bad news he's like okay give me the bad <laughs> which is because they're both bad uh, so she says that based on his string of box office bombs and his skater boy attitude and that that's a boy as a boi the town's on the verge of saying see you later boy and she's like you are one mistake away from movie jail he's like good thing i've got to get out of jail free card this smile, ding, and she's like, ugh, she's like, you realize I can't see you, right, we're on the phone, yeah, she's like, you need to get your act together, she's like, we've got one offer, and I suggest you take it, it's probably going to be the last one for a while, you, your flight to Toronto departs in four hours, you better be professional at all times, or the stardom you love so much will slip through your grasp, and he's like, whatever, <laughs> because, oh, the, during the, the montage scene, they're playing at the United States of America, this is my United States of what? And it's like, yeah, I was going down the streets and this guy came, a cop came up and I was like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> Sorry. Um, I, just, I totally forgot about that song. It's such an interesting song. <laughs> but I just liked it. So uh, that's the name of the episode, whatever. Um, so Ramona, guess what? She dyes her hair again. So now it's green and light green. And then we see uh, Lucas is next on her list. You know, she's, she's checked off. She goes to Toronto Wood Studios, and there's, like, a bunch of, like, girls at the gates talking to security guys um, because, you know, Lucas Lee is, is supposed to be there. But she just, like, skates behind them, like, on the other side, you know, or rollerblades past them. And then she, she goes into a room, and, you know, we're on the set, and she finds young Neil there, and it turns out he's the writer. She's like, you're the writer? And he's like, uh-huh. And she's like, of this movie? Yes. You wrote a Lucas Lee movie, and, and they're about to start rolling. So the set looks. She's like, "Why does this look like the rocket?" And this actress comes in looking like Ramona. Ramona isn't too keen on that. She's like, "Hey, young Neil, why is Envy Adams dressed like me?" And he's like, "She's playing Ramona Flowers." She's like, "Uh, okay, young Neil, what's the title of this movie?" So they're like, "Quiet on the set," and they got the, like the clicker thing. Scott Pilgrim's Precious Little Life, Scene Twelve, Take One. And Ramona, she's like looking at the script. You wrote an entire script about a world where Scott Pilgrim won the fight with Matthew Patel. He's like, basically. And she's like, do you know where I can find Lucas Lee? And she's like, wait, who's he playing in this? But the thing is, young Neil didn't really write it. He was in his sleep. And that whether he was dreaming that someone else wrote it or that shadow figure. So uh, young Neil drives her in, in like a little golf cart thing to her her uh lucas lee's trailer and he's like in the u.s these are called mario karts and she's like that's not true and he's like how do you know and she's like because i'm from the u.s well they're called that in japan and she's like i'm pretty sure that's not true either agree to disagree so she's at the trailer she knocks on the door there's like clearly someone in there you hear a woman's voice but it's like i thought lucas wasn't he dating envy adam maybe they're not dating anymore even though they're both supposed to be in this movie so she knocks on the door. She's like, it's Ramona Flowers. And then he answers the door. He's wearing, you know, Scott Pilgrim yellow shirt with like a red star. He has like a brown wig under. And she's like, oh my God. And he's like, Ramona Flowers. And she's like, been a while. And he's like, 
freshman year, high school. She's like, we need to talk. Not sure we do. She's like, about Scott Pilgrim. I'm Scott Pilgrim. Ramona's like, no, the real Scott Pilgrim. You saying I'm a fake Scott Pilgrim? And she's like, no, the Scott Pilgrim your character is based on. He's like, hmm, didn't know this was a biopic. And she's like, no, it's more like, wait, do you even know what this movie is about? Have you read the script? I read the title. And she's like, maybe you should read a little more. Well, as not fun as it's been to catch up, I'm needed on set. We're about to shoot my first scene. Got to give the people what they want. Crank that Lucas Lee charm to 11. He closes the door and you hear a girl's voice inside. He's like, I think you're an 11. And then uh, the recording closed caption, straight Wallace is like, damn girl, what are you doing later? And she like looks over. She's like, are you hitting on me? Maybe I am. And maybe I am. He's got a big sparkly smile. She's like, ugh, gross. And she just like blades off. On the set, regular Wallace, real Wallace comes up. And it's a scene where Scott wakes up after having the dream. And, you know, then he, you know, they go through the whole spiel. Then Wallace actually, actually gives some notes about it. And the director is like, who has the nerves to make, give notes on my set, whatever. And then Wallace is like, I do, whatever. So he digs Wallace's boldness. And he's like, the part is yours. And he's like, well, what about the other guy? He's like, oh, he's already being escorted off set. So now Wallace is going to play Wallace in the movie. So Wallace asks young Neil, then he's like, wait, how did you know the exact words of mine and Scott's conversation? And young Neil's like, the creative process is a mystery. So, hmm. Ramona goes back to Lucas's trailer and he's, he's like, I'm reading the script. Come back later. She's like, I'm not falling for that. She's like, I know you have a girl in there. He's like, fine, it's open. And then she just goes in there. She's like, oh, no girl. So he asks if she knows why he's in this. And she says, yeah, you know, he's the lead. And he's like, no, there's a Lucas Lee character who's got tricks into grinding to death. She's like, I'd never fall for that. What kind of idiot would write this? And, you know, then a little bit later, he, you know, after they talk about it, he's like, so this movie is what would happen if Scott won a fight against Matthew Patel? And she's like, yeah. And he's like, Scott defeats all your exes and the two of you live happily ever after? And she's like, well, young Neil may not be the brightest, but he has a vivid imagination. He's like, the ending is unrealistic. The Ramona Flowers I know would be on to the next one. She's like, that was a long time ago. Feels like yesterday. Why are you here? She's like, Scott's not dead. Someone wants us to think he is. He's like, who? Why? She's like, that's what I'm trying to find out. If there's anyone from my past who would do something this messed up, you think I'd kidnap some Canadian loser and fake his death? And she's like, well, you willfully chose to join a league of evil exes. I need to know how evil you really are. He's like, ha, well, we're not really evil. It's just a branding. She's like, I know your reputation. You're a quintessential Hollywood bad boy. You can't judge me. You're on a quest to find a guy who was dating a high schooler. I'd never do anything that stupid. If I did, my career would be over. And she's like, um, Lucas? And she points to his TV screen where you see him like hugging a young girl. And it, it might be like Team Z or something like that. And he's like, my God. And then the news like, this just in. The actor playing Scott Pilgrim is dating an actress playing a high schooler. And this other one's like, ha ha, that's actually hilarious. So Ramona's like, you're dating a 17-year-old? And Luke is like, she's 31 in real life. And then the, the, the trailer starts rubbling. There's like a slight swirl of lights and everything, and it goes pitch black. And she's like, a tornado in Toronto? He's like, no, something worse. Paparazzi. 
So then they start snapping pics. Luke's, Lucas starts fighting. He tells her to go. He's like, I'll cover you. And then, then she, you know, she goes off. She throws a board to him, and he starts like swinging it. taking. He's like just whacking paparazzi. Several more are coming in. They're like crawling all over the place. They call over a bullhorn. We have you surrounded, actor scum. Show yourself. And then like the trailer, ex trailer explodes. But it's almost like there's like another one, too, because then he's standing there. And then there's a close-up, and it's like, boom, boom, boom. You know, it's like the camera gets closer. He's like, whatever. And then the announcer's like, Lucas Lee versus the paparazzi. Fight. And then a police truck by Dead Kennedys plays, which is like, wow, that, that's awesome. And he hops on his board. He rides all, all over the studio a lot. Paparazzi are following. He starts earning coins from defeating them. He does like the spinning move in the, in the air, and in a string of paparazzi, they all kind of like start morphing together. They join, so they're joined together. They're like spinning towards him, and then his board busts. But he, I think he took him out, and then he like smashes into this like building, the set building, and Ramona shows up with like the two pieces of his board, and she's like, "Need an assist? Why would you help me?" And she's like, "What do you mean? I always helped you." So there's a flashback. He grinds down the stair rails. He crashes. She puts a Band-Aid on his elbow. And then he's at his locker, and he sees her walking with another dude. He's like, yeah, until you left me with nothing but a broken heart and a broken board. And so he, like, snaps his board in half in the flashback. So it's like, wait, you did that, dude. So that's the board that he had on display at his place. And she's like, that was the day I decided who I was going to be. The best skater, the highest paid actor, the biggest star. And he's like... That day made me who I am. So I guess in a way, I have to thank you, Ramona. She's like, that's nice and all, but we're running out of time. Are you going to let me help you or not? So outside, they're like, Lucas Lee, we know you're in there. The door opens and Ramona rolls out, knocking some of them down. She bl blades out of the lot. She just rolls out. So then she like looks around and she opens up her purse and she's like, all clear. <laughs> and it just looks so absurd. So you see Lucas Lee's head sticking out of her purse. He's like, just got off the phone with my agent. I'm off the movie, and she's dumping me as a client. So Ramona's like, oof. He's like, well, there goes my career. It's like I'm a, sh a show that's no longer on the air. I'm a, damn, I wish there was a word for that. And she's like, maybe this will all blow over. He's like, nah, they're already testing new actors to play Scott. By tomorrow morning, someone else will be cast in the role of the guy you like more than me, and I'll be back to being nobody. That was your cue to say something like, you were never nobody, Lucas. And she's like, well, you were definitely nobody, but I still made out with you. Hey, I'll take it. He climbs out of her purse. Still think I kidnapped a real Scott Pilgrim? She's like, no, I don't see you as a kidnapping guy or a portal guy. Good, because I didn't. That was a night of Teen Sorcerer 4 premiere in L.A. I got blitzed and puked on Winifred Haley. You can find the photos online. Guess someone else took your stupid boyfriend. She's like, he's not my boyfriend. Whoever did this kept that train from leaving the station. And she's like, well, take care of yourself, Lucas. And he kind of laughs. Whatever. And then this, this kid on the board, like, rolls towards him. He, like, knocks him, like, out of his way. And he, like, took his board. <laughs> so Ramona crosses Lucas's name off her list. And then a portal opens behind her. And it's Todd. And he steps out. He takes a bite of celery. And she's like, vegan powers? Vegan portals? He goes up to security at the gate. Hello, I'm Todd Ingram. I'm vegan. And I'm here to audition for the part of Scott Pilgrim. And then Ring of Fire by Johnny Cash plays over to end credits. And that's the end of the episode. So, um, yeah, uh, I, I'm, I'm just so digging the show. I, 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 I know I said it so many times, not so many times, like, what, twice now? I just love the fact that this is totally different than the Scott Pilgrim we know. It's, like, complete left, left turn. And it, it's, it's brilliant. 
that, yeah. So uh, we'll do more. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I, I want to do episode five too, Lights, Camera, Sparks, but I think I'm going to cut it here because that was pretty quick. So let's move on. So Monarch, uh, Legacy of Monsters. Um, so I'm feeling kind of bad about this because how many episodes are out now? Four. And I think I'm only going to do episode two, Departure. Because there's this, as, as, as much as I try to be brief, I, I'm having a hard time. I'm trying doing this, you know, trying to be as brief as possible. So it starts off, Manila, 1952. Lieutenant Lee Shaw reports his order to his, to his superior in his office. So the first time we saw them, I had to like backtrack. So this is 1952. Last time we saw him was 1959. And we see he has a black eye. He got in a bar fight. Um, there's a, a slight flashback, whatever. There's an officer being bullied. He like pulled a girl like onto his lap or something like that. So orders came through, security escort for Japanese scientists. And Shaw like, kind of questions it. But he's told it's not a milk run. They've already lost a man on one of these escort missions. So he will protect, observe, and report when and if able. So then on Min Mindanao docks in the Philippines, he's looking for Dr. Miura, and it turns out it's, it's Keiko, the, the lady. So he thought he was escorting a dude scientist because then he's like, oh, you must be his daughter. And she's like, no. He's like, well, you know, I'm whatever, Colonel Shaw, you can call me you know, Lee. And she's like, well, you can call me Dr. Miura. So then he's like, oh. So she, she's driving in an army Jeep like really fast and he's like back rows and, you know, through to whatever. And he's, he's a little concerned and she's like, aren't you curious why you're here? And, you know, she says that they detected isotopes in the air. And he says, he's like, well, what? we're too far south for a Russian bomb test. And she's like, it's not the Russians. He's like, you know, they were the wrong isotopes also for a bomb fallout. So she's here to find out what they are. So then it cuts back to Tokyo 2015. Kentaro wakes up. Uh, he, he goes out. He's in a suit and tie. Then he starts walking against, like, the, the, the foot traffic. He goes to his dad's office. And at first, I was like, well, is this another flashback? What's going on? But no, it's, it's the, what we're, we're calling a present. This is a current time. Because the safe is still open from when they were just in there. And then he stands at the desk, and he starts, like, raging, like, sweeping pictures off, off the desk. And he goes in, in the you know, file cabinet. But then he noticed it's locked because he was probably going to start throwing some more stuff. He takes out the keys that Kate brought, I think. He manages to open it. There's all these files in there, but one of them, it's like a Monarch file folder. So he, he takes that out. There's a bunch of files in there, and you see there's a file on Lee Shaw. He, and he finds an old film canister with a movie labeled Philippines 52. So then um, Kai says that the, every day the readings diminish. Soon the trail will be lost. So we're, we're back in the past now. Lee is like unloading some crates, and she hears something in the trees. And she asks Shaw, she's like, you hear that? And then he's like gone. It's like, wait, where'd he go? Then William or Billy, he, he comes out of the trees with the camera and he's, they're like looking at her. And then Shaw comes out behind him, puts a gun against the back of his head. He's like, who are you? And he's like, uh, I'm an American Navy vet. He's like, what are you doing here? American Navy vet filming us. And he's like, why you guys doing something film worthy? He's like, I asked you a question. He's like, and I asked one back. I got the gun. So he's like, my name is William Randa. He's, he's like, you could say I'm on a hunting expedition. I'm a cryptozoologist. You're a cryptozoo what? And then Kai's like, he studies animals that don't exist. And Billy's like, yeah. And he's like, looks, looks around at stuff that's out there. Atmospheric sampler, spectrometer. He's like, hey, is this a radiation monitor here? And he's like, seems like we're out here hunting the same thing. And she's like, and what's that, Mr. Randa? 
the truth. Cuts back to 2015. Kate's walking the streets at night, and it's like, wait, is she being followed? Her mom calls. She's like, where have you been? And she says that she's on her way home. Cuts the call short. She's at the train station, and this dude comes up to her because you know she was just on the phone. He's like, oh, are you American? Because you know he heard her accent, and he's like, I don't mean to eavesdrop, but you know I heard you. And you know she just tries brushing him off, whatever. But then he keeps like following her. She goes off to the side. And he keeps like trying to talk to her. It's like, dude, leave her alone. You know, old dude, whatever. Just stop. You know, are you trying to hit on her? What's going on? So because she's like, you know, I've, I've made all the new friends like I can handle on this trip. And he's like, you know, she's about to walk away. He's like, I need to talk to you about the files. And she like stops. And she's like, what files? So he finally, he's like, I work for Monarch. You're not in trouble. Not yet. Those files belong to us. And they're more important than you could possibly imagine. But it's like, how do they belong to you? It's like, whatever. Whatever. <laughs> and she's like, uh, I need to make a, a call. He's like, okay, let's make a call. And he like takes her by the arm. So they exit the train station. And he's like, you know, make the call. He's like, speaker, please. So she dials her mom. And she's like, wait, what's going on? And she throws the phone at his face and runs. And as she's running, this woman by this car grabs her. The dude comes up, sits next to her in the back seat. So it's like, I don't know if they left her suitcase there and her phone. Did he pick it up? He should have picked it up because there could be information there, right? But then he sits next to her. He's like, I said you were in trouble. And she's like, yet. You said yet. So they start driving. And he's like, I swear we're not going to hurt you. But then he puts a bag overhead. And she's like, no, you don't understand. It's like, I can't breathe. She's starting to you know, freak out. He's like, calm down, relax. But she's thinking about the Godzilla attack and everything like that. So she's just like thrashing about. She ends up kicking the, the woman driver. The car hits like a concrete divider, flies up, flips, lands on its side, and then falls, you know, rusts on its roof. Kate manages to crawl out of the broken you know, windows. And then the dude gets, gets when he gets out, she's gone. Then we see Kentaro. He, he knocks on May's door and she's like, what? He's like, you're not answering my texts. And she's like, when was the last time I answered one of your texts? She's like, what do you want from me? And then he shows her film canister. And you know, she looks at it. She's like, I do audio, not home movies. He's like, I told you I was sorry. And she's like, yeah, I'm sorry too. And she's like, I get it. You know, whatever, all this stuff, you're drowning and you don't want to put me to pull you down or something. And he's like, she's like, you should go home now. He's like, well, I, I want the old computer files. And she's like, why? He's like, because they're mine. He's like, what difference does it make to you? And she's like, I'm busy. Come back tomorrow. So she like closed the door. But then we see she's actually looking at the files. And she, there's like, she's listening to some audio on her. She puts on headphones. So Kate goes to the police about the, the, the man who grabbed her. And they ask, and they're, they're like, well, do you have ID and everything like that? And she's like, I left my bag with them. And the cop thing's like, oh, you know, a lot of times we get tourists who are just overindulged and, and all this stuff. She's like, you think I'm drunk? I was almost kidnapped. He's like, well, you know, well, I recommend, you know, you call the U.S. Embassy. He's like, let me, you know, get their address. So he, you know, goes back and he, he gets on the phone. And he's like kind of looking at her. He's on the phone. So she gets a little nervous and then she just turns and leaves. Kentaro returns home. There's a bunch of some pictures out. Mom's, she's like, you know, your dad's life wasn't easy. You know, he lost a lot when he was young. And Kentaro's like, you're defending him? She's like, aren't you angry? And she's like, no, whatever, like that. And then she starts, rip, she rips a picture. He's like, wait, what are you doing? She's like, well, now I'm angry too. And she's like, you should join in. So they're like ripping pictures, like throwing them. And they start like, ooh, whatever. And then um, she's like, I'll go warm up some dinner for you. And, and then of all the pictures out there, he sees a picture of Shaw. So Billy, in the past, asked Shaw and Kai if they're following the radiation because he knows that they're not going to find what's out there by following a Geiger counter. And he says that they should be following the stories, the folklore, the legends. She's like, are you hunting dragons? He's like, I'm looking for the truth. Shaw thinks that, he's like, okay, I think it's time for you to hit the road. And Kai's like, 
you know, I don't think it's a bad idea if he joins us. And he starts kind of arguing or anything like that. And she tells Shaw, she's like, why don't you just go? You know, I didn't ask for you. You know, I'll tell you what, you're dismissed. And she like salutes. He's like, he's like, okay, I'll send someone back with the Jeep. He drives away. So Kai asks Billy, he's like, have you ever seen a dragon? He's like, once. And he's like, you know, all the people he's talked to say the same thing, lights in the sky, whatever's making them is following the same path, like over and over, he goes back centuries. And she's like, like comets? He's like, no, 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 more like, like migrating birds. So she shows him um, the tracks of the radiation readings from their surveillance aircraft, and they match up perfectly with like what he had in his journal. He like he tears the sheet out. <laughs> it's it's kind of silly because he they match up perfectly. They're even like to the same scale and everything. It's like uh, that's a little coincidental. So then they, they walk through some trees and everything. They find like this big like battleship in the middle of, like this field like in this valley, and he's like, "That's the the Lawton." Kate's walking nervously. She doesn't know who she can trust, so she's like suspicious of everyone now. And she makes her way to Maze. She hears some voices inside, and she gets like pulled back, and she kind of freaks a little bit, like in this darkened hallway. And it's May, so she's like shh. And so they can kind of see from where they're at. They can see like people inside May's apartment or in front of all the computer screens. So they sneak away. They're they're just gonna take off. Kentaro and his mom are looking over a ton of photos, and she, you know, with the picture of Shaw, she's like, "Oh, that's his uncle Lee. You know, his father died when he was 18, and Uncle Lee was the only family he had left." And Kentaro's like, well, if they're so close, how come dad never mentioned him? And then he's like, is he still alive? She's like, I don't know. And then he gets a text from May to call him. It's important. The doorbell rings, ding, 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 you know, a few times. He answers it. It's a dude to grab Kate and his lady driver. He's like, do you speak English? And Kentaro's like, yes. He's like, great. That makes this easier for me. May we come in? He's like, no. He's like, who are you? He's like, official business. We're with a, a special government task. And Kentaro's like, which government? And then he's like, well, you know, this will be in and out real quickly. He just like walks in, like helps himself in there. And he's like, we'll be out before you know it. And then he's like, he finally, he gets to the point. He's like, I want Bill Ronda's files. And Kantara's like, no, you need to leave. And the dude's like, no, you need to hand over those files. Otherwise you, your friends and your mother are going to be in a lot of trouble. So then the lady, the, you know, my mom's are in Japanese. She's like, what's going on? Who is this? The lady says to her in Japanese that there's something that her son stole, which is a bunch of bull. He didn't steal anything. So there's something that, you know, that he stole. He stole some, like, files. And then she tells Kentaro, she's like, why don't you give them whatever it is? It must be important. And, and she, he's like, are you sure? Because she, like, takes his hand. So she's kind of signaling him. And I don't, I couldn't tell if she, I still don't know after watching the episode, I don't know if she put something in his hand and he's like, okay, I'll go get it. And a dude tries following him, but then the mom's like, do you want some tea or something like that? The dude looks at the lady and she like shakes her head. And so then the mom's like, she's saying in, you know, Japanese, she's like, my son's a good man. You know, when he was younger, he, oh yeah, he caused some problems and, you know, there's some drinking and, and then, um, the dude, he's like, he's waiting, he starts looking at the pictures on the wall and then he's like, oh, spit. Cause he sees a, the picture of Kentaro's dad like the like the memorial picture whatever it is so he, he goes back you know goes back there Kentaro had exited through like a back door and then the dude he, he finds a bag like the empty bag with the tapes and he comes out and he's like he's not happy so Kentaro still has a picture shot in his pocket and then he gets a uh, text from May with like a ramen emoji or something like that in uh, the past Billy and Kai go into the ship, he says the USS Lawton went down 200 miles west of Pearl in 1943. She's like, that's 5,000 miles from here. And Bill is like, exactly. They go inside. He, he films a little bit. 
and he keeps going in further. Kai's like, you know, maybe we should stick together because he keeps like going off. Then he goes in this one room and there's like a foot locker, like soldier quarters, whatever. He's like looking at stuff inside and he's just like kind of shaking his head. And you see on the side, it's labeled Rhonda. And then she, she sees this too. She's like, you were on this ship? He's like, yeah. And she's like, is this what you were looking for? Did you know it was here? He's like, did I know? Let's just say hoped. And she's like, not very scientific. He's like, I know we hit something in the water that night. We figured it was a Japanese sub. The whole ship went down in less than three minutes. And she's like, who else survived? He's like, only me. Shaw is still driving. And then he looks down. He sees like a Geiger counter, like on the floor or whatever. And then he sees like some weird shimmery lights in the skies. He turns around. May and Kate in the, the present, they, they go to the back room of this restaurant, whatever. May has this, like a locker. There's like a bag in a locker. She opens up. There's like some rolls of money, just passport. And Kate's like, who are you, Jason Bourne? And then May's like, well, you were there that day in San Francisco. She's like, you don't have a bag packed ready to head to higher ground when the tide starts rising? And she's like, yeah, it's full of bottled water and batteries, not extra passports. So then they, they see Kentaro when they exit, and he's like, what, you know, with Kate, she's like, what is she doing here? And May's like, hey, she's in this too. And he's like, somebody's after those files. And Kate's like, why don't we just give them what they want? Maybe then they'll leave us all alone. And May's like, get good luck with that. So Kate's like, well, what's your plan? Run? She's like, me? I have contacts. I can get his passports. She's like, I don't want a fake passport. I want my real passport. And Kentaro's like, wait. Oh, he's like, hold on. He like looks at the picture of, of Shaw. He's like, I know where to go. Trust me. Back in pass on the ship, they see like stuff like on pipes and, and, and like the ceilings. It's almost like something dripping. So Billy's like, it almost looks organic. I don't know if it's like webbing or something. And uh, then Billy gets shocked when he finds like the whole crew, like all webbed up and mummified. And Kate, or Kai, she's like, when did you say the ship sank? He's like, nine years ago. She's like, I think I've seen everything I need to see here. So they start to leave, but then there's more stuff like hanging over. She's like, that wasn't there before. It looks fresh. And she's like, how did it get there? Is, is something in here making it? He's like, I don't know. She's like, come on, let's, we go out this way. So then uh, in the present, the three, they drove this minivan to someplace. Kentaro tells the guy at the desk, he's like, yeah, we want to see the Colonel, you know, Colonel Shaw. Is he still alive? They're, they're taking this like kind of residential area or maybe it's like a common room or like something. Kurt Russell has his back to him and he's like trimming a bonsai tree. So Kentaro's like, Colonel Shaw? And he gets up, he looks at him, he's like, what's your name? He's like, Kentaro. Kentaro what? Rhonda. He's like, oh my God, you're Hiroshi's boy. And you, looking at Kate, she's like, I'm Kate Rhonda. He's like, of course you are. I, uh, well, I didn't know Hiroshi even had a daughter. And she's like, well, I didn't know he had a son. Turns out he was good at keeping secrets. And Shaw looks at May, she's like, not my drama, no relation. So Kentaro's like, we want to ask you about our father. And Shaw's like, why don't we, yeah, come on. And because and I think he interrupted because there's a camera in the room because May had looked up and saw it before. He's like, let's get some air. Then outside, he's like, if you guys could just kind of keep your voices down, that'd be good. So he's like, tell me, how'd you get here? And, and Kentaro's like, rented a minivan. He's like, yeah, that's good. But I mean, how did you find me? He's like, my mom. And he's like, Amiko? He's like, yes, we found something in my father's safe. And, you know, May isn't sure if they should tell him. She's like, Kentaro? And he's like, what? He's my great uncle Lee. And he's like, well, what did you find in the safe? She's like, a bunch of old computer files, crazy poop, monster poop. And he's like, please keep your voice down. He's like, what is this all about? Why are you here? And you got to make it kind of quick. 
Kentaro's like, we want to find out what happened to my father. And he's like, you tell me. So Kate's like, right after G-Day, he said he had some place he needed to go. He wouldn't tell us where, but a week later, we were told a plane he was on disappeared somewhere in Alaska. Turns out he had a whole secret life in Japan. Came here to try to figure out figure it out, but now we're being chased by these monarch people. And, and Shaw's like, disappeared? As in no body? And May's like examining his tree nearby. She finds like a hidden camera there. So Shaw's like, no body? And you say, no death certificate. So Kate's like, what are you saying? And then... May's like, hey, what is this place? So Shah's like, this place is what Monarch euphemistically referred to as secure asset management. And then he shows he has an ankle monitor on his leg. So she's like, right, so you're in prison here? Okay, we're leaving. He's like, yeah, you can try, but they're just gonna keep following you and start and following you until and following you until they finally get what they want. And Kate's like, or and Shaw's like, well, that's up to you. Now you can choke down that mountain of monarch BS about your father disappearing without a trace, or we can get the hell out of here right now and find out what really happened with your dad. And he takes off the ankle monitor. And he's like, now you just, you have about 60 seconds to make up your mind. Tosses it into this little pond. He's like, what's it gonna be? So Billy's leading the way in a ship. And he's like, this way. She's like, are you sure? In case then there's like the screech or something and the wall like the wall just kind of gets dented and he's like let's keep moving he's like go back go and then the, the wall gets smashed billy gets knocked down and like pinned by like a big hunk of metal or whatever like the frame or something and he tries getting free but he can't move and then he, they're like what are you gonna do then shaw shows up so he helps he gets like his like a, a big pipe or lever to kind of like use as a lever or whatever to get the, the pry up the, the big hunk resting on him. The whole place is shaking. They start going, they jump out, just start running out. The ship's starting to tip over sideways. They barely make it out of time. <laughs> they have to like, do one of those jump and you know, land like five feet from the big sh everything. The you know, ship just tips over and they continue. They get up, they start running through the trees. <laughs> ship kind of like busts open. It's this gigantic wing beast busts out. <laughs> Start flies at them. They run towards the trees. There's like a ditch. They kind of jump down there. The beast like flies over, flies over, circles back, goes back to the ship, and they're just looking at it like, wow. They're like in awe. And that's the end of the second episode. So there you go. That's your quick abbreviated <laughs> recap. Um, and as I think I mentioned it, but as some of these other shows end, we'll try to. I'll, I'll try to catch up with you know Scott Pilgrim and Monarch or whatever. All right, then uh, Doctor Who's back, which is uh, so weird. I haven't really been keeping up with it. I, kn I know it's been happening. I know David Tennant's coming back. I was like, how is this happening? How can he be back? Is this supposed to be like some weird lost tale or whatever? And, you know, because they've done that with like audiobooks and or the uh, actual books probably as well. And I was like, okay, that, that's fine. The adventures that we've seen uh, on the, the, the TV, on or the, the show, it makes sense. Okay, yeah, maybe there's some adventures that happen in between adventures because it's time travel, so anything's possible in between moments, in between moments, or whatever. That you know, we don't see absolutely every moment of their life. When one episode, sometimes it'll pick up from where the previous episode. You know what I'm saying? So it turns out that's not the case. Now I knew that we're you know it, it's it's great we're we're getting this uh, new new doctor. Um, I wasn't aware that. Jodie Whittaker had made her exit already and I missed that. So I don't know if that exit, her regeneration, I'm not even sure how she regenerated, why she regenerated. Cause you know, usually it's, it's some, some big traumatic something event. 
And I don't know if they showed David Tennant in that, you know, her transforming. So that's what happens. David Tennant is the doctor again. It's it's not a lost tale because obviously, you know, he looks great. And he's not the same age necessarily. You know, it's obvious. So he doesn't look exactly the same. He looks, you know, really good. He does. You can tell he's he's a little older. So it for some reasons he's he's back. So maybe it will be explained in this. So um, the interesting thing about the special is it's being aired on Disney Plus now, which I think is great. You know, I was watching them on BBC America, but it was always just a matter of when were they airing and so forth. So you know, I'd have to set the DVR and and, and all that. Uh, not sure if they're because I know they're being shown in the BBC, right? And I don't know why is BBC America just getting cut out of the picture. I don't know. But I'm hoping that with Disney Plus, because, you know, it's not like Disney. It's not. Disney is not making the movies or making the show, making the specials, as far as I know. But maybe by them licensing it, airing it, maybe they are putting a little money into it, the production and, and that that's great. You know, we have Russell T. Davies back, which you know he, he had a he did a great run as as a showrunner. Now, you know, it, things are, are coming back. So it starts off. Uh, David Tennant's narrating. Once upon a time, once upon a time, Lord, I had a best friend, and her name was Donna Noble, a time lord and a human. We traveled the stars together. I, I, I'm, I'm sorry to say it. <laughs> you know, Donna was was never my favorite companion. And, and, you know, yeah, she was, what was great about hers is she was very bold. She spoke her mind. So, you know, there, there's all that. I just, I, I think sometimes it was a bit much. Not that there's a, like, they need to be put in their place or anything like that. But a lot of times she was kind of questioning the doctor and stuff. And, and it's like, it doesn't matter. And it's not just because she's a woman. It has nothing to do with it. But it's like, if you're traveling with a time lord and you're just a human... Because I'm sorry, I'm referring all humans are not as knowledgeable or skilled or anything as, as a Time Lord. You know, he's been doing this for years and years. So it was just sometimes it was a bit much. But he's like, and then anyway, so as he's saying that, then Don is like, sometimes I have dreams about impossible things. I dream of creatures and adventures and faraway skies, but none of it's true. And then Doctor's like, Donna saved the entire universe by taking the power of the Time Lords into her mind at a terrible cost. She had to forget everything she ever knew. She had to forget me because if Donna ever remembers me, she will die. So that's like the big, big hook. Dun, dun, dun. And then Donna's like, and now I've got a nice life with a nice fella and a nice house and the most beautiful daughter in the world. But I just think something's missing. And then the doctor's like, I can never see Donna again. And then, so now the days are drawing in. Uh, she's like, I have, I keep having more and more dreams, like something's getting closer. And then the doctor's like, but now those faces come back. Why? So he doesn't even know what's going on. And then she's like, it's like a storm is in the air, about to break. And then the doctor's like, I think the story hasn't ended yet. So the TARDIS lands. It's in London. Doctor exits. You know, he's kind of like in this alley. He walks among people, like kind of, kind of like a little, little, uh, business section, you know, there's a bunch of little storefronts, whatever. He has a smile on his face, and then he sees someone carrying a huge bo- pile of boxes, like a stack of boxes. So he rushes over to help because that's what he does. He takes some boxes off, off the stack. The person carrying 
the boxes turns out to be Donna. <laughs> so he, uh, uh, you know, she thanks him, but then he puts the boxes back and he starts walking away. And she's like, "Oi!" She's like, "Do you mind?" She's like, "You know, stuff's not mine; it's hers." And she's like, "Rose," and he's like, "What?" It's like, wait a minute, Rose is no Rose is no, she's not here. And then she, she's like, Rose. He's like, what? It turns out Rose is her daughter. So it's not our Rose. It's not the Rose that, you know. So then she's like, sorry, mom. And then he, the doctor's like, mom. And Rose asks, she's like, hold on, who are you? Because uh, Donna ended up like kind of, she was going to restack the boxes like that. So she's got the boxes on. She's kind of like, you know, on, on the ground, you know, crouched down trying to stack them better. So he's about to say his, his name or say who he is, and then there's an explosion nearby, or there's some, some, some noise, and there's a bright light in the sky. And Donna's like focused on stacking the boxes, and Rose's like, Mom, there's a plane crashing. And the doctor's like, I don't think that's a plane. It's a spaceship in trouble. And Rose is like, Mom, look, it's a spaceship. And she's like, yes, there's a spaceship crashing over London right now. You are worse than your granddad. And then the doctor's like, oh, granddad, because he knows him. And then there's a big crash. Donna didn't see anything. So Rose is like, how do you manage to always miss everything? And she says, because I have better things to do. And then she's like, nice to meet you, skinny man. And then she's like, oh, word of advice. You can wear a suit that tight up to the age of 35 and no further. And he's just like, mm. so they leave. And this other dude in taxi is out. He's like, Rose. So the, the dude's name's Sean, according to cl- closed caption. Turns out he's Donna's husband. So... Uh, the doctor runs up a taxi, and then Sean's like, sorry, mate. It's like, that's my daughter over there and my missus. And the doctor's like, good, but I need to get north. That explosion just now. Something crashed. Can you get me there? And he's like, oh, Satnav says they're closing all the roads. And then the doctor's like, well, I know some roads that even taxi drivers don't. He's like, trust me. He takes out an ID. He's like, grandmaster of the knowledge. And Sean's like, that says grandmistress. And he like kind of like bangs it against the mirror. He's like, oh, catch up. At first, I didn't quite get what that meant. It's because he was a mistress. He was a woman before. Now he's a male. So the psychic paper, which I'm assuming what it was, it hasn't caught up to the fact that he's a dude again. So he gets in the back. He's like, let's go. And, he, and then he's like, you're Sean Temple, which means that woman, your wife, that's, that's Donna. Is that right? He's like, yeah. How'd you know that? And he's like, oh, I know that friend of yours, uh, Neri's. And he's like, oh, Neri's, how is she? And the doctor's like, she's fine. And Sean's like, after the accident? And then the doctor's like, she's not fine. And then Sean's like, well, it wasn't her fault. And the doctor's like, she's been fine. <laughs> but she was saying about you and Donna, so uh, she's Donna Temple now? Sean laughs. He's like, no, no. It's like, still Donna Noble. And he like chuckles. She refused to be Noble's temple. You know, and she says, they both say, it sounds like an old ruin. And he's like... Yeah, that's her. And he chuckles again. He's like, Rose Noble too. I was never going to win that battle. He's like, what do I care? I've got the best two girls in the world, mate. And the doctor's like, but Neri said, I, I, I thought, I mean, didn't you win the lottery? And he's like, Neri's in her big mouth. He's like, that's supposed to be a secret. He's like, you know what happened? Donna gave it all, all the way to charity. Every single penny. Well, we bought the house. That's the one thing we did. But now we can't afford to run it. He's like, do I complain? No, I do not. That's a great love story, mate. Me putting up with that. And the doctor's like, she gave all her money away? And he's like, triple rollover, 160 million quid. Gone. And the doctor's like, why did she do that? Oh, next left. So then uh, there's like a news report, the reporter saying that he's at the Milson Wagner Steelworks. And, you know, on the screen, it's like unit forces in attendance, possible link to UFO sighting over North London. 
and you can see a building uh, like on fire in the background. Then some soldiers grab him, carrying him away. He like protests. They put him in a van. So the doctor goes through this gate. He sneaks closer and he, he goes in this building. He sees a hole in, in the roof where like the ship and he sees a ship like there. Their soldiers are like hosing it off to put out the fire. Doctor climbs up some stairs to get a better look. He hears a woman talking to this other dude. So the woman is Shirley Ann Bingham, which I think she's been on before. Um, she's a unit scientific advisor. I'm pretty sure she has. And you know, she's in a wheelchair. Uh, if you remember her, I'm not, not, not that it matters. She's in wheelchair. It kind of does, but not really. And she says that the ship was on a crash course, but she's like, but look at last minute it pulls up and she, you know, then it settles. So she's showing like the trajectory on like on a tablet. So she's like, what I'm saying is the ship didn't crash. It parked. And dude's like, no signs of life. And she's like, not yet, but we don't know what kind of life we're looking for. And then Don and Rose are walking down the street. Some kids on a bike are calling. They're like, hey, Jason boy, give us a kiss, Jay boy. And I, at first I'm like, what? And Donna's like, oh, I'll get them. She's like, and so she recognizes one of them. And, and Rose is like, oh, just leave it. But, you know, Donna knows, like, with, with the mom and one of the kids, she's like, well, I'm going to tell her because I remember she had lots of names at school and I should know I invented them. Which is like, so are you saying that you were a bully to someone else, calling someone else names? So inside their house, Donna's moms are making food. And Donna's like, I don't need my own personal food bank. You know, she's like, it's not my fault I lost my job. Okay, it is. But, and her mom says that, you know, she only, if only she had kept some of the money. And she's like, oh, don't you start. Then Rose asked Gran if she saw the spaceship, you know, and she's like very dismissive of it all. She's like, oh, there's no such thing as spaceships. And then she asked Donna quite, she's like, did you see anything? And she's like, no. So then Rose, she goes to put some boxes in the shed. So the shed's kind of like her, her, her space or whatever. And uh, the mom asked, she's like, everything all right? And Donna's like, well, some boys from school. And Mama asked, because when she came in, she's like, oh, you look gorgeous, whatever. She's like, was it sexist that I told Rose that she looked gorgeous? And she's like, I never said that to him when he was, oh, oh, sorry. So I didn't catch that either. So that's why the kids are calling him Jason Boy or whatever. He used to be a boy. He's a woman now. So, so Donna's like, does she look gorgeous? And she's like, yes, well, so stop worrying. And she, then... Um, She's like, funny about that spaceship. Remember Gramps used to talk about flying saucers? Then her, her mom just like changed the subject. She's like, then I tell you, I saw Sudi Mare. Donna's like, then it stopped. He used to talk about aliens and UFOs and little green men. Then he never mentioned them again. Around about the time I forgot everything. And then her mom's like, long time ago, darling, 15 years. And Donna's like, it's just this gap. Her mom's like, oh, it's no great mystery. You had a bit of a breakdown, sweetheart. And then you got better. And Donna's like, sometimes I think that there's something missing. Like I had something lovely and it's gone. And she's like, I kind of looked at a side like, like something should be there, but it's not. And I know I've got Rose and Sean and you. And then she's and the biggest sausage roll I've ever seen. So I don't know if her mom's making sausage. I forget. She's like, I should be happy. But some nights I, I lie in bed thinking, what have I lost? So then outside there's this kid, named, I think his name was Fudge. He runs up to Rose because she's out back. And like there's like an alley between like houses in the back. And he runs up to her about the spaceship. He says it was, you know, it's, or she says it's miles away. He's like, no, a bit fell off like an escape pod with aliens inside. He, he takes her to this like orb shaped pod in the field, but it's empty. And he's like, that means it got out. There's an alien on the loose. So he's like excited about this. Rose says that, you know, she's going to run back and get her phone. But then in the alley, you know, by the house, she hears like a noise, like crash by the, like the bins. It turns out there's this cute, like furry little critter with big eyes there. And it's like, meep, meep. And she's like, what are you? 
And it's like, I am the meep. And Rose is like, you can talk? Oh, my God. She's like, my name is Rose. She's like, I'm a human. What happened? Did you crash? I fell from the stars. I hurt my paw. But I'm not safe. There are others from the sky. They're hunting me down to kill me. And Rose is like, who are they? And then the, the creature is like, monsters. So the, the kid Fudge, he's excitedly talking about aliens on his phone. Then he runs a couple of like big bug-like aliens with like claw clamping hands and they got like wings and, and stuff and like glowing eyes he like takes off but they leave him because they're hunting the meep the doctor examines the ship with a screwdriver you know he gets like this holo display and he's like looking at it then shirley ann comes up behind him and she's like too good for us now and he's like and he's like evening and she's like doctor and then he without even looking at her He's like, that's a double-bladed dagger drive, damaged by laser fire, which means we've got two sets of visitors at war with each other. Nice to meet you. Did you get that heat readings on the deceleration? She's like, oh, I got everything. And he's like, hmm. So then she's like, Shirley Ann Bingham, unit scientific advisor number 56. And he's like, oh, I was scientific advisor number one. And she's like, oh, no, I, I know. I've read the files. He's like, I'm going to get a bonus just for meeting you. And he's like, oh. And she's like, but why are you hiding away? We're on the same side. And he's like... It's all a bit mad, Shirley. I don't know who I am anymore. And she's like, well, you look like the doctor to me. He's like, well, exactly. The one in the skinny suit. After that, I wore a bow tie. After that, I'm a Scotsman. After that, I'm a woman. And she's like, but that's your future. You can't know that. It's forbidden. He's like, I regenerated. And she became me. She's like, you got your old face back? He's like, yep. And she's like, but why? Well, that's what I'm worried about because... I've got this friend called Donna Noble. She was my best friend in the whole wide universe. I absolutely love her. Oh, hmm. Do I say things like that now? And the, the sure, like, sounds like a good thing to say. He, and he continues, he's like, but Donna took the mind of a time lord into her head. I had to wipe her memory to save her life. If she ever remembers me, she will die. So what happens next? I get this face back and a TARDIS lands next to her. I turn around, there's her husband and a spaceship crashes in front of her. It's like it's she's drawing us in. And she's like, what? She's making it happen? He's like, no, she's got no idea. She's ordinary. She's brilliant. She's got this beautiful daughter. She's happy. Is she? Hmm. But now the universe is turning around her again. I don't believe in destiny, but if destiny exists, then it's heading for Donna Noble right now. And she's like, what for? He's like, I don't know. But she can't remember. I won't be the one who kills her. Then a tablet beeps. So he's, he's like, he, there's no sign of a pilot, but it's not an automatic drive. So she should be on the lookout for, and then the soldier comes up. It's like, so he kind of like ducks back in the shadow and the soldier says that they're, they're moving out. There's no sign of life. So then he like leaves. So she tells the doctor he should pop off. He hops on the back of his unit like truck. And then she's told that they found a signal inside the ship. It's a repeated pulse. And when they answer through basic modulation, it modulates back. And, and then they're like, oh, sorry about the stairs, but uh, Geneva says, go in immediately. Uh, she's like, oh, don't make, make me a problem. Just get in there because there's like a bunch of stairs to get to the top of the ship. So she's at the bottom. Several soldiers go up. They're ready. You know, they got like their rifles, you know, drawn out. The door opens. There's a hissing and a screeching from the side. There's like this purple shimmering light and strands of light energy, whatever, goes into the soldiers' eyes. They put down their rifles and then they turn around and like kind of walk like in unison, like they're under some spell. They start going down the stairs. Rose has the meep hidden in her shed. The meep is confused when it sees like the stuffed toys that she's making. And you know, she says she wants to try to make money for mom and dad. Meep says that it wants to go home. 
he's all alone. Rose says that she gets it. Sometimes she feels like she's from another planet. Or that's what other people say. Then Donna comes in because Rose is supposed to take out the bins and she never does. Meep hides among the other stuffies. And then Donna like, sees him and she's like, oh, that's a new one. She's like, great stitching. And, and Rose is like trying to like, oh, let's go in when you want dinner. And, and Donna's like, and those eyes, they look so real. And then it Meep blinks. And Donna's like, did it just? And then she gets closer and she like pokes an eye and Meep like, gasps. And she's like, what the hell? So the unit truck driving arrives at some destination. Doctor hops out, goes like in the opposite direction, like soldiers getting out. Back at the shed, Donna's freaking out. The meep starts talking and she's like, how can it talk? And Donna's mom comes out and she's like, it isn't real, it isn't real. There's a pounding on the door. Let me in, let me in. And Donna's mom growls under her breath because it's it's a doctor. And she's like, you. So she rushes to the door and the doctor's like, Sylvia. She's like, good to see you. Will you let me in? Because he's still on, she hasn't opened the door. She's like, you said if she sees you again, she'll die. And and the doctor's like, well, no, if she remembers me, that's slightly different. And Donna yells, and she's like, no such thing as a spaceship. We've got a bloody Martian in the shed. And the Meep's like (laughs) grabbing onto her leg as she's like walking in the kitchen from like the back patio. Sylvia's like, don't look at it. It doesn't exist. The doctor, you know, so her mom goes to Donna. Doctor lets himself in with his his screwdriver. And Sylvia turns, and I don't know if she like slugged him or slapped him or something like that. And he's like, oh, here we go. (laughs) So then Rose sees him. She's like, it's that man. And Donna's like, oh, it's a skinny man. And her mom's like, no, it isn't. He's not here. You can't see him. And, and there's no monster. For the love of God, none of this is real. And then, hey, hey, dad's home. <laughs> and he comes in the room. He sees Meep. He pauses. Well, something smells nice. <laughs> it's like he doesn't even flinch that there's this creature there. The infected soldiers now, they go to the sphere pod. And they tell the others there to like return immediately to the steelworks for reassessment. And then when they move out, the lead infected dude, he raises his visor, shows that he has like these glowing eyes. We are close. The Meep is near. So the doctor is wrapping Meep's injured hand. Sylvia says that they should be thinking about infection. She thinks that this man, the doc, you know, the doctor, that he should deal with this beast. And Don's like, never mind the ferret from Mars. Who the hell are you? He's like, I, um, uh, what, what was it? And then uh, Sean's like, a friend of Neri's. He's like, that's it. And she's like, Neri's. Well, now it all makes sense. That viper in the nest. I'm not going anywhere. We can sell Mad Paddington for a million quid. <laughs> and Rose like, Mom. And the doctor's like, whoa. And then she's like, you fill the fridge. And the doctor's like, what did happen to all your money? And she's like, why are you so interested in us? Everywhere we go, there you are. And the doctor's like, yeah, well, I was just wondering, you know, there is one person missing. I used to know your granddad, Wolf. And Donna's like, he's not with us anymore. He's like, right, of course. You know, he wasn't young. He was, I love that man. I'm so sorry for your loss. And Donna's like, he's not dead. And Sylvie's like, you idiot. So then Donna's like, he's, he's in sheltered accommodation. He's 94. He can't manage the stairs. And the, Sean's like, we were lucky. We couldn't afford it, but an offer came along. And Rose's like, it's amazing. He's got this room, like a cottage and a garden, and it's almost free. And Sean's like... It's run by that lot in the middle of town. And the uh, doctor's like, unit? And Donna's like, this woman in charge, Kate, she says that he's an old soldier. She'll look after him. And the doctor's like, right, I know her. She's looking after Wolf. Brilliant, brilliant. Meep, meep. And he's like, yes, the meep. I promise I can help him get home. Then you'll never see me again. And Rose is like, you're assuming he as a pronoun? Mm-hmm. And he's like, true, yes. Sorry, good point. And to meep, he's like, are you 
he or she or they? My chosen pronoun is the definite article. I am always the meep. And the doctor's like, oh, I do that because he's always the doctor. And then he's like, and, and, and this is the thing. People are going to hate that. It's like, oh, boo-hoo, whatever. Sorry. That's how it is. It's, it's in the universe. You get over it. Uh, so he's like, you know, you were shot down. It's like, who wants he dead? The wrath warriors, they cultivate meep kind for our beautiful fur. But then the galaxy said, no more fur. It's wrong. So the wrath, 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 wrath. <laughs> it's like wrath, but there's an extra R. Rarth warriors slaughtered their livestock. Now they'll hunt me down till there are no meeps left. It breaks both my hearts. And Doctor's like, oh, you got two hearts, so do I. And Donna's like, you got what? And her mom's like, no, he means like a metaphor. And then there's pounding on the door, open up. And Doctor's like, ah, good, the soldiers, they can give us a lift. This lot are on my side. He goes to the door, and the soldier's like, we demand to search the house. And this has been declared a military zone. So the doctor pulls out his, his screwdriver. He's like, sorry, say that again? And then as he talks, the doctor makes the visor go up and reveal the glowing eyes. It's like, did he, it's like he wasn't aware of this. And then he like, he, he's like, not today, thanks. And he closes the door. And he's like, I think we need to run. And boom, there's an explosion at the back. It's the Rarth warriors, whatever they're called. The infected unit soldiers bust in from from the front. So now they're like straight across each other. They start shooting. The the Rarth shoot back. The doctor is able to make, so they're like in a side room as as a two or like shooting. The doctor is able to make like a a wall, like a light force field wall with the sonic screwdriver and slides it into the hallway. So he makes two. So there's like on both sides. And then so they can like walk across and go to the stairs and go up. But it's like, wait, you're trying to go up? You should be going out because Sean says that he's parked five houses down. So they want to get to the car. So there's more shooting, more explosion, more like they're upstairs, there's explosion at the top, wrath arrive and everything like that. So they, they go up to the attic and basically what the doctor is going to do is use a sonic screwdriver to make a hole in the brick in between the houses because this is like the neighborhood where like all the houses are connected. So they're going to go basically cut through everyone's attics. <laughs> so there's going to be like a shortcut through everyone's house. Um, the other unit soldiers who were dismissed, they arrive and refer to the ones there as rogue unit troops under hostile control. It's like code red. The doctor and the others, they exit the house because the dude's like sleeping in a couch with headphones on that, that lives in that house. He checks like a fallen unit soldier in the street because you know they get into sean's uh taxi but the doctor checks the soldier soldier he like says something i didn't quite what you know he was surprised when he you know checks the pulse of this, this fallen soldier but then he gets spotted some rare th- see them turns around starts shooting at him so he he jumps in the cab he's driving drives him away he's like either we escaped or we've got things very very wrong they go to his parking garage the uh, doctor gets out he opens the door for the meep and then he takes a couple steps and he reaches like in his kind of jacket. He pulls out one of those like old timey white wigs that the, the judges use, or maybe they're lawyers in London. They you know they use it in kind of like the George Washington wigs, like also. He puts it on, on on. This court is now in session, and he raises the screwdriver. Intercept, teleport, and two wrath soldiers appear. And Don is like, "What the hell is he doing?" And then the doctor's like, silence in the court. I am invoking shadow proclamation protocols 15, P, and 6. Under my jurisdiction, there will be no violence until such time as I deem it fit and proper. Is that understood? 
So I don't wrath nod and lower the rifles. Now, exhibit A, the taxi. No scorch marks. So it did take a few hits when they're parked. I was like, wow, it's not like blowing up or anything. He's like, Donna, can you confirm? And she looks at it like there's like nothing, no, like no marks or anything in there. The doctor's like, we were hit by plasma bolts, but there isn't a mark. And that soldier in the street, he was unconscious, not dead. And exhibit B, those guns, the rifles that the Wrath have, are stun guns. Is that correct? So one speaks, this gun is a mild and harmless neural anesthetic. For the record, my name is Sergeant Zograth. And the other one's like, and I am Constable Zrieg. And then Meep's like, but the evil Wrath warriors want to kill the Meep. He's like, the only ones out to kill were the soldiers with the swirling eyes. So were they coming to hurt you, the Meep, or save you? One Wrath asked to speak. He's like, the story of the Meep is a tragic tale. Their planet basked in the light of a living sun until one terrible day the sun went mad. The radiation mutated all of Meep kind into cruel beasts who lived for conquest. So then the doctor's like, the eyes, that's solar psychedelia. So he's like, he should have known that. And the, the, the Wrath says it renders them as maniacs. And um, the other says that the Meep army captured the Galactic Council, beheaded them, and ate them. The Wrath warriors were summoned. We fought across the stars a long and awful battle. And the other one's like, Meep kind died rather than surrender. And now only this one survives. Their leader, the most cruel and despicable of all. So this cute little creature is supposed to be this evil, horrible, alien-eating creature. And it's like, meep, meep. And his doctor's like, now, let's be fair. It's your turn to meep. Then its eyes kind of like glare. And then you see it has like razor-sharp teeth. Oh, to hell with this. This is Exhibit C. Pulls out a gun and shoots both wrath. No stun guns for me. Just die. The doctor and Donna both go to the fallen warriors. Like, you know, some trucks pull up with like more the swirly eyed guys. And here they come, my soldiers for the psychedelic sun. Donna yells at Sean to get Rose out. And I don't need to pretend for I am the beep of all the meeps. The, <laughs> the wrath and, and, uh, by Donna dies. And she's like, I was right. You are a monster. And you believed every word, you stupid woman, with your weird child. And she's like, oh, don't you dare. Oh, I dare. Raises his gun. And the doctor's like, no, 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 no. He's like, but last minute evidence, me. Why is there another 200 species on this planet? Unless I'm part of a strategy by the Wrath Warriors to outfox you? And if you kill me and fail to take this family hostage, you'll never find out, will you? Hmm. Bring them. And he's like, good. Now, look, can I suggest a much better way off this planet than a double-bladed dagger drive? Because whoosh, he gets knocked out from behind. And the meat just, like, cackles. So they get transported away in the truck. The doctor wakes up. Donna asks him, like, who are you? And he's like, what's your name? And then she asks him, she's like, do you know him? And she acts like, you know, she's like, uh, and then Donna's like, like this is she says i'm so stupid you know we could be living far from here i gave away that lottery money and the doctor's like why and she's like because there are places out there where people are in danger and in pain and fear and i could help it felt like the sort of thing that he would do it's like he who so then the truck stops they've been taken to like the steelworks place the meep is brought he's carried in on this like throne the makeshift throne this ship has been repaired and the doctor's like, you can't fire those engines. Not from here. A dagger drive gets its energy by stabbing down. It would extract, oh, five square miles. The whole, whole of London town would be burnt as fuel. And Rose is like, that's nine million people. And Meep's like, 
a great day for meep kind and the start of a new reign of terror as the meep returns to the stars for revenge and feasting. Ship preparations are started. They're brought onto the ship for feasting because it's like, who will I eat first? Shirley gets a drop on them when they like get off this elevator. She has like stun darts on her wheelchair and then the doctor's like, you have weapons on, on wheelchairs? And they're like, they all do. She's, so she tells the family that they can get out through the side door, but the doctor needs to get to the engine control. Um, but then the, the, the port side's guarded, so there's no way around it. She's like, so what do we do? And she's like, well, I don't just fire darts, mate. So she launches like a mini rocket from her wheelchair and it blows up like a hole in the wall. So the doctor runs through. Donna like stares at him as as he runs away. Sean's like, Donna, come on. She hugs Rose. She's like, I love you. And then she closes the door and she like bolts it from the inside. So Rose and Sean and her mom are on the other side. So she she says to Sean, she's like, take Rose 10 miles away. It's like, I love you, Sean. But if the doctor can't save the city, we're all going to die. I've got to help. And she like goes off. Sylvia mutters, she's like, she called him the doctor. The doctor gets on the ship and then Donna's like right behind him. So the door like closes behind her and the doctor's like, no. But then she's like, oh, or he's like, it's fine. He's like, we've, we've got this. So he tries doing several things. Uh, he has to fight like various countermeasures because the, the Meep is like starting to launch preparations. And then this like glass wall like splits the room in half. And the doctor mutters, he's like, oh, I, I could do this with half a room. And Donna yells, she's like, let me help. And he's like, no, you can't get involved. You can't. And then he has no choice. So he tells her like some switches to flip down. The meep starts a dagger drive. It's like starts jabbing into the ground and cause like this line, like streaks of fires. Like, there's like molten stuff like underneath the cracks. So it's like, this is like heavy duty. Sean, Rose and Sylvie, they get cut off because there's like fire and stuff like that. So they're, they're trapped there. The doctor tells Donna that they've run out of time. There's only one thing left that they could do. And she's like, then do it. Hurry up and do it. She's like, what are you waiting for? And he's like, all that coincidence might have been for a reason to save London. You know, they could do it together, but it will kill you. And she's like, okay. And his like voice cracks. He's like, you'll die. And Donna's like, my daughter's down there. And it's not just Rose. It's 9 million people. Who cares about me? He's like, I do. And she's like, but why? I'm just no one. No, you are not. And he's like sobbing, like screaming. He's like, why does it have to be this? And then he pauses. So then he's like, Westerly, Pelican, Dreams. And she's like, look, I don't care what it is, all right? Just, just, just go and do it, will you? He just continues. Tornado, Clifftops, Andante. And she's like, get on with it. Grief, fingerprints, susurration. And then she's like, oh. And then they both say together, Sparrow, dance, Mexico. And then she's like, binary, binary, binary. And then she has like, like, whoosh, like a flash. I just spit all over. <laughs> just like flash of light shoots out of her torso. It's kind of like when a doctor regenerates sometimes. It's like, whoosh, it comes like, almost like fire coming out of like from the top, like from her shirts, from like the, the, the neck hole, whatever, and the arms. So, but she's, she's fine. You know, she's not like burnt up or anything like that. So it's like 90 seconds. Streets are being consumed by molten energy beneath whatever. Then the doctor asks her, she's all right. You know, they're, they're still separated by the glass. And she like stands tall. She like cuts her hair like out of her, her face. She's like, I gave away my money. And he's like, right, but I gave away all my money. And do you know why, doctor? 
I gave it away to be like you, so I could be kind, so I could be nice, so I could be helpful. I had a subconscious, infractaneous, retrofold memory loop making me act as soft as you and give away 166 million pounds. He's like, yes, Donna, but the destruction of London? Oh, I'll show you destruction, mate. She gets working, starts flipping some switches. She like knows what to do. Because, you know, she's got all this memory stuff in her head. The doctor does some stuff too. 20 seconds. Then the ignition's in reverse. Somehow, <laughs> somehow the streets start going back to normal. <laughs> How's that happening? Um, and then so all this stuff happens. And Donna collapses. The glass lifts. The doctor goes to her. And he says that she saved her daughter. She saved them all. And then that's it? It's like, you're going to kill off Donna after that? So, but she's not quite dead yet. So Donna's like, why did this face come back? He's like, I don't know. And she's like, to say goodbye? And he's like, mm. And she's like, good fun, though. They both chuckle. And then she dies. The door opens, and it's three soldiers come in. We have orders to kill you. And the doctor's like holding down in his arms, like, do what you want. This ship isn't going anywhere, and you are beaten by the Dr. Donna. Then the meep's like, now feel the wrath of the meep. Destroy him. Some switches are hit by someone. And then the energy starts to leave the soldiers. Wait, what? what? Meep is confused. What? The doctor is confused. What? The soldiers are confused. What? And then Donna gasps. What? <laughs> the doctor's like, you're not dead? And she's like, but how? So it was Rose flipping the switches. And then she says, closing down all psychedelic light wave emanates and transferring excess power to the broken drone prefixers, mum. It's like, can you hear me, mum, doctor? I think it's safe to come down now. And then Donna's like, what? The doctor's like, too much power for one person, but you had a child and the metacrisis passed down, a shared inheritance. And there's a flashback to when Donna was saying binary and then Rose's eyes glow and while Sean and Sylvia are watching. So Donna's like, it was always there, shining out of her. And then doctor's like, and she chose her own name. And Donna's like, oh, the shed. The shed was her memory of the TARDIS and the toys. Every creature that she, you know, we met, she remembered as a toy. And we see like flashbacks of the, you know, this was, they're like kind of voices. This was supposed to be the Daleks. This was supposed to be Cybermen. Uh, and then the doctor's like, we are binary. And Donna's like, she's not. Because the doctors, and it's like male. And doctor says, and female. And then Rose is like, and neither and more. So they get off the ship. Donna runs up to Rose. I mean, in case it wasn't clear, it wasn't, you know, Donna's daughter is transgender. <laughs> it should be obvious, right? Um, so Donna runs up to Rose. The doctor asks Sylvia if she's happy now. And she's like, oh, my father would be impressed. And he's like, that's all I have to say. The highest compliment I can give you. Then the meep's like, sorry, he's like kind of captured now. It's like, I still have my sh But then the meep says it still has this ship. And... If it has to start its engine and destroy the world and damn them all, then so be it. Doctor flips a switch, like a hatch opens. But then also, Meep gets like ejected straight up and comes down like in a parachute. Wrath warriors prepare to take the Meep away. And Meep is like, it'll I'll get revenge. And it mentions uh, being with two hearts is such a rare thing. Just wait until I tell the boss. And then they teleport away. And the doctor is like, cryptic. I hate that. But we still got to fix you two. The metacrisis might have slowed down, but that thing is wrapped around your cortex. And Donna's like, yes, we know. And Rose's like, we know everything. Thanks. And Donna's like, and you know nothing. It's a shame you're not a woman anymore because she'd have understood. 
And Rose is like, we've got all that power, but there's a way to get rid of it. Something a male presenting Time Lord will never understand. And then Donna's like, just let it go. And Rose is like, and we chose to let it go. So they join hands, they light up, the energy leaves. And then Rose is like, after all these years, I'm finally me. So maybe because I'm a male, male presenting human, I'm not sure quite what they did. They just let the energy go, like flow out of them. And only women can do that? I don't know. Um, so then they, they drive over to where the doctor's TARDIS is. You know, they all get out. And he mentions, you know, he's just talking down. He's like, you know, unit has a great insurance policy, you know, damaged the property in the course of an alien war. And he's like, and while that's being sorted out, one last trip. And so he's like, don't you dare. And Don is like, do you know, I would love to, but I have got adventures of my own bringing up this one. And Rose is like, can I see inside? And Don is like, no, 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 no. Because something will go wrong and you'll end up on Mars with Chaucer and a robot shark. And she's like, that actually happened, hasn't it? And Doctor's like, uh, he says something, but he's like, but I was thinking uh, we can go and see Wolf. And she's like, no, that's cheating. He's like, just a suggestion. And then Sylvie's like, I mean it, don't you dare. And Donna's like, but imagine his face, mom. Oh, he would be so happy. All those secrets granddad kept for years. He, he thought I'd never remember. And, and to see the doctor one last time. So then Sylvie's like, oh, all right. But one trip, that's all, just one. And Donna's like, one tiny little trip. That is a promise. And she's like, it's like the old days, just me and a doctor together. And she's like, is that all right? And Sean's like, of course it is. And she's like, well, a lot of husbands would worry, you know, me in a box with another man. He's like, yeah, but not him. And the doctor gives her like, what? Like look on his face. They enter the TARDIS and the doctor is even surprised because the TARDIS has changed. It's like white, it's big, it's slick, it's crisp. There's like these like walkways and everything like that. He's like running around. He's hitting switches on, on the console looking. Um, you know, the lights change color from like white to like a purplish whatever. And then he asked Donna, she finally admits, she's like, oh, it's gorgeous. And then she says that, you know, she doesn't get it. You know, the TARDIS can change, but you know, what about his face? I mean, why did it come back? He's like, does there have to be a reason? And she's like, in your life? Yes. He's like, well, I'm stuck with it now. Then he's looking around. He's like, oh, look, it even has a coffee maker. So he like makes a coffee for her. He's like, cold milk, right? And then he's, he says that he's so glad she's back. And she says that they can, you know, they can have more days. You know, why does it have to be goodbye? You know, why is it such a big goodbye with him? He could visit. They could do things. You know, they could have dinner and tea. And, you know, he's been giving a second chance. So why not do something completely new and have friends? He's like, yeah, maybe, yeah. And she's like, like now, here we are, having coffee, what could go wrong? And as she says that, you know, she moves her arms like, you know, like whatever, pours out the coffee, she's just cold in coffee. Coffee splashes onto the council of the TARDIS, like sparks, huge flames. Outside, it's kind of like a violent takeoff. It's, it's like, like the, the others kind of have to back away. And then the doctor's like, it's completely out of control. And he's like, we could end up anywhere in time and space. Doo, doo, doo. That's the end of it. So uh, way to go, Donna. You know, you're complaining, whatever. And you end up causing this, this shakeup. And she wouldn't even let her daughter see the inside. So um, I'm not really clear on what the status of this. Because like I said, you know, I, I wasn't really... Uh, paying that much attention to this. 
So I don't know. Actually, okay, so I just looked it up. It looks like this is gonna be weekly for a bit. So yeah, December 2nd is Wild Blue Yonder. Um, yeah, so that episode is out now while you, you listen to this. So I'm gonna be a week behind. And then on December 9th is The Giggle. December 25th, The Church on the Ruby Road. And then that's it. Because yeah, so there's four specials. And then sometime in 2024, it starts back up with maybe the new doctor. So there you go. I wasn't quite um, planning on covering this. I know that was a kind of a long recap, but um, that was Doctor Who special number one. David Tennant's back. Some cheesy moments in the episode, but the fact that it's David Tennant and, and Catherine Tate um, that kind of makes up for it. So, uh, it'll be exciting. You know, even if it's only three episodes, I hate that it, it's limited, so limited that, that we know that, but it, that'll be fun to see David Tennant again. I never thought it would happen. Okay. Now the movie feature is, uh, Godzilla minus one. So what, what the heck is, is this? This is a totally separate Godzilla thing. This, and it is a 2023 movie. It is a new movie. It, it, it feels like, it feels so old school, but then it is obviously like a you know, new production, but it's like meant to look like old in, in some ways. And you know, when, when I saw it, it was you know, subtitled. You know, I, can't, I mentioned it at, at work and you know, right away, you know, it's like, is it dubbed with you know, the mouse not, not matching it? You know, it's just, it's a, it's a little ridiculous. Sometimes you know, some of the voice actors, whatever that they get to do the dubbing is like, hey, what are you doing? Oh no, don't do this. You know, it's just, it's so, it, it, I don't know if they purposely try to do that. So this is just, this is like hardcore, like true Godzilla. And I love Godzilla. I, you know, I love King. I love all, all this stuff. You know, I grew up with this stuff. But the movies that we've had recently, they've been fine. You know, not talking about the 1990s Godzilla. We're just not, we don't go there. Uh, but I, I don't, it just feels like something's been, missing a little bit you know because like with the i still remember the 2000 was it 2014 godzilla where you watch this movie and it's like when the heck is godzilla coming in here it's like i'm watching this movie about these like sp- spider big creatures you know going across the country it's like wh- where's godzilla at and then finally godzilla comes up and then you know we've got san francisco getting destroyed again and then there was i don't even remember the movie so we had skull island which was an interesting movie you know, when I, I, for some reason, I didn't watch it when it first came out, which is just crazy. I, I can't understand that. And, and then, you know, then there was what Kong versus Godzilla was. Is that it? You know, we see the sequel. I didn't really love that. Is that wasn't that the one with, with Millie Bobby Brown? And uh, so it's like they've been fine, but it's just I just been like, yeah, OK, whatever. You know, oh, there's another one coming. When's the next one? Is there going to be next one? Whatever. And the Monarch show, I, I'm enjoying that. I, I think that's high production. Uh, you know, yeah, I'm, I'm only you know a couple episodes in, but I, I'm 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 digging that. So I, if if that is fleshing out that world, I think it's kind of cool, even though I'm not super invested in that. So with Godzilla minus one, totally different. It's just it goes back, and this isn't like tied to anything like that. And uh, I, I I just think it's it's kind of fascinating the way it the way it happens and even when when it starts off you know it starts off in 1945 which is kind of interesting because 
you know, when, where, how did Godzilla come about? And, you know, it, it I think maybe they're, they're going away with this because it didn't used to be like, like, oh, atomic bomb, radiation, and, you know, causing Godzilla creature to re reawaken from the pits of the earth or mutate or, you know, whatever. But it's, the, you know, why you don't really get that, that explanation or anything like that. And it, it's almost like it just starts off right away. And, you know, there's been rumors and talks of Godzilla, but then he just like kind of like pops out and starts doing his thing. Now, one of the things I find interesting about Godzilla, and, and as I'm watching this movie, I'm, I'm trying to look at this, is what is Godzilla's motivation? Like, who is Godzilla? And, you know, we've seen different versions where in some situations, Godzilla's kind of like the villain. He's this big, massive creature that is stomping and destroying and blowing up, burning, you know, cities. How many people are dying with that? But then we've also seen, like, oh, no, wait, maybe Godzilla's kind of a good guy. You know, he's... He's not necessarily, you know, going to wear like a cape and tights or anything like that. But he's he's taking on like these evil titans or whatever these other rubber costume, you know, creatures, and you know, just trying to do the right thing. You know, he's he's kind of good. It's like, yay, Godzilla. Here, I don't think that's necessarily the case, and uh, it's it's not really clear what Godzilla's motivation is or whatever. When he first appears, you know, he's on this island, then you know, he's not really doing anything. He's not really bothering anyone, but he's headed towards this, you know, installation, whatever. They start shooting at him, and then that, that ticks him off. Because what is also interesting, and I, I don't want to spoil too much, but, you know, we, we get like a younger Godzilla. You know, he looks smaller, which was, was kind of neat. And he so he can kind of feel the bullets. I don't think they necessarily penetrated his, his skin, his hide, but it... He felt it, and he starts getting mad. And it's interesting because he's a slightly smaller Godzilla. He is like reaching down and like, like chomping, not necessarily chomping them in half, but he's grabbing people and then like flinging them. So you know he's he's not biting him in half. I don't think. It, it, so it was just weird because you haven't really seen that. You know where he's like grabbing. Usually stuff gets stomped on or swatted by his tail or just blasted by his fire whatever atomic breath. So, you know, we, we have some things here. Now, what, one of the things that separates this from just, just Godzilla smashing stuff or doing whatever is there is, like, some human characters that we, we kind of follow. And in the beginning, I wasn't super crazy about him. We have this dude. He's, like, a kamikaze pilot, and he, he lands on, on that island where Godzilla comes. And, you know, he says his plane needs to be checked out. But then we find out. It's like, wait, there wasn't really anything wrong with the plane? So... Is he having second thoughts? And but you can't do that because you're a kamikaze pilot. You're sacrificing your life for the empire, for the emperor, and all this stuff like that. Which, but it's like, who wants to like willingly die? That just seems kind of a bit much. So then, you know, he has a chance to possibly uh, kill Godzilla. Because, you know, one of the dudes on that, one of the mechanic dudes, like, get, you know, you get in your plane and, you know, that, that can kill anything. He gets makes his way to his plane, and he's got like Godzilla in his sights. But then he he hesitates, and you know whether he's just scared or whatever, because you know I, I'm sure he figures if I shoot him and it doesn't do anything, he's gonna smash his plane and kill me. Because you know he's there's no way he's gonna be able to get out or run in time, and because he doesn't do that, everyone gets killed. Like all, all these people on the island gets killed. So he makes his way back home, and. He's seen as a disgrace because he was supposed to be a kamikaze pilot, and you know the, his hometown was just like ravaged by the raids. Uh, 
And he's also feeling a lot of guilt because all these people died because he didn't kill Godzilla. And then when Godzilla pops up again years later, he's like, I could have stopped Godzilla. So he's got all this guilt and everything like that. And it's just interesting also to, to add to the human layer when, you know, he's he makes this like ramshackle shack, if that makes sense, you know, where, where his, you know, he, he lived, you know, it got destroyed and everything. This woman and a child, like a baby, like an infant, ends up kind of like moving in type of thing. And then he just eventually just he kind of is like, OK, whatever, because, you know, he's a good person at, at heart. And, you know, he they're, they're not like necessarily romantically involved. But, you know, time goes by and like the kid even thinks that they're they're you know, the two of them are the kid's parents and, and that. So you, you kind of get that that family aspect. And in the beginning, I was like, mm, what's going on? Like when the kid starts crying, I'm like, wait, is this crying dubbed? Because that sounds like like a baby wailing. And this kid's like a year old and it just didn't sound right. That was the only thing that really bothered me. But then there's like other stuff is like, well, Godzilla's coming. We see more Godzilla attacks and, and just everything like that. So I just feel like the whole thing is just, it was just done really well. You know, just the way the attacks happen and just the fighting and just the music and the roar and, you know, just a ching, ching, you know, when Godzilla's spikes start like powering up and then he lets out that atomic blast. And um, then, you know, there's, see, I don't want to give too much away, but there's some other interesting thing, like when Godzilla does kind of get hit or injured you know like what happens after that so it just it kind of goes from there and you know i don't want to say too much but like by the time it ended the movie i'm just like i was like wow i i actually was caring about everyone and it was just i was like kind of like on i was getting a little antsy it was, it was kind of on the edge of my seat just like like what's going to happen like no way he's like i can't believe this and that and so i just i it was just i was just so amazed like blown away by this movie just the impact to have because it's not just another godzilla movie it's so easy to dismiss this like oh it's just a rubber suit movie it's like no it was just so good they did such a good job with it and i'm just like wow so you know i don't know where it comes from here and you know that's the interesting thing where you know everything is all about you know multiverse shared universe this and that but this just feels like it's like its own thing. Could there be a sequel? Well, you know, what happens at the end of the movie? You know, it's, it's kind of hard to say without giving everything away. But it's just, I, I think it was just really, they did just such a good job. And this is one of those things where they're not necessarily looking to, you know, make this big thing. You know, I'm, I'm sure they would love to, you know, just make this its own franchise. And I never saw a Shin Godzilla. You know, it was something I always meant to see. But I, I think I've just been so hesitant and reluctant that i'm just so upset about being disappointed and i've heard some mixed things about that where some people like it and some people are like oh no my, my goodness so i i don't really know the budget of this was 15 million and it looks like so far it's made 25.1 million so that's 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 pretty good because i was like oh man how's this movie gonna do you know is it gonna be considered a, a failure or whatever but you know it's already made it's it's budget but of course you know it's got to make more than that and you know, it was released, I think it was released um, October 18th in Shinjuku, um, November 3rd in Japan. So, you know, we're just getting it here in the States. And like I said, it was just, it was just really good. Um, as far as reception, let's see. Um, Godzilla Minus One debuted number one in Japanese box office. Gr gr wait, what? Oh, <laughs> grossing. It was like $1.04 billion. Um, yen, which is 7.8 million. It's like, it's a huge difference. 
um, from 648,577 tickets during its first three days. That's 7.8 million in three days. That's that's something. During its opening weekend, it grossed 1.2 million from 49 IMAX theaters, making it the largest opening for Japanese live-action film in that format. In the United States and Canada, it was released alongside Renaissance, a film by Beyonce, Silent Night, and The Shift is projected to gross the high single digits to 10 million from 2,308 theaters this opening weekend. The film earned 2.1 million from its Wednesday and Thursday previews. So 10 million, not a lot, but I, I feel like there's been like hardly any like promotion in this. And you know, like I said, the only thing I saw was like a 15 second trailer. So we have that. See, Rotten Tomatoes, it's at a 97%. I thought it was a 98. I don't know if this is updated. From 67 reviews, 8.2 out of 10. Um, consensus read, with engaging human stories anchoring the action, Godzilla Minus One is one kaiju movie that remains truly compelling between the scenes of mass destruction. Uh, Metacritic, Metacritic gives a 79 out of 100. Um, it's, just, it's, it's just so good. It's it's so weird, and I know a lot of people are, are you know it's it's not for everyone, and you know when I was talking to you know the secretaries at school, they're like, yeah, I think it's a guy thing. Maybe it is, but you know there is some emotional you know aspects to this, so I just think it's it's really good. It's a really cool movie, and you know it's just I I just love that they were able to bring back this old vibe, and you know not have to compromise it, so. Yeah, I don't know where we go from here because, you know, what does this mean for this, all this MonsterVerse stuff? Because I just I wasn't super crazy about that, which it, it kind of bums me out because I feel such a fondness, you know, childhood fondness, nostalgia, and those movies just haven't really been doing it for me. So maybe this is the way to go. So we'll have to see because I, I would like to know more, like, you know, where does this Godzilla – because I feel like we didn't get, like, Godzilla's origin or whatever, and, and not that we need it. Not that we need to see it again or anything, but I'm just kind of curious, like where where this would go. So um, that's gonna be it. I don't think there's anything more to say about that. So let's just say that's gonna be this week's episode. Godzilla was awesome. You should see it. Really, really should see it. But that's gonna be it for this week. So big thanks to Dave McPhail and Andrew Loken. They are big supporters of the show. You can be a supporter by going to patreon.com slash gmanfromheck. Any amount you can commit to will be awesome. If you commit at the Rick Jones tier or higher, you get access to the secret podcast from Heck, which is an additional 30 minutes of podcast entertainment every single week. And um, currently talking about X-Men, The Hidden Years, so from like 2000. Um, so I'll, I'll probably, you know, do another one this week. I, I don't know how, how long I'm going to keep keep doing that. I, and I know I keep saying that, but it's like, you know, I, I feel like I should mix things up, do something else. But every time it feels like, you know, there's a, a like another cliffhanger. It's like, wait, we got to talk about this. We got to do that. So um, we'll, we'll see. But. If you can't commit to a monthly commitment, you can also help out by going to coffee.com slash gmanfromheck and you can buy me a virtual cup of coffee or four. That's ko-fi.com slash gmanfromheck. Okay, so what's going to happen next week? Um, I, I think, I'm pretty sure there's another Doctor Who this weekend, last last weekend. Um, we'll see. About, I don't know how many Monarchs I'll, I'll do. Um, I'll try to do some more Scott Pilgrim, try to do two Rick and Morty's. We'll see. Um, 
And then that's it. As far as a movie feature, I really don't know. Because I, I do want to see Silent Night, but I'm not sure if it's going to be playing at my theater. So maybe I need to go to another theater to see that because, you know, they looks like they're, they're pretty full. Because um, the only other thing that's coming out, there's the, the Boy and the Heron. I don't know about that. I mean, I, I do want to see that. But I don't know, is that quote-unquote a podcast movie? So we'll have to see. I, I don't know. Yeah, we'll see. But that is going to be it for this week. So thank you for listening. I totally appreciate you being here for you know giving me your time and you know just taking the time to listen. I hope you are doing well. I hope you are taking care of yourself. hope you are taking care of others. And I hope you remember to be good to each other.